This is the Criterion Creeps Podcast. I'm Jared Duncan. RJ Bevog. And we're just two guys who have no other choice now but to creep our way through the Criterion Collection one spine number at a time in order of release. This week we're making our way through Gay Paris in the early 1930s, RJ. What kind of Paris? The gay kind. As we watch Spines 160 and 161, oh my goodness, in the Criterion Collection, René Claire's A New La Liberté from 1931 and Under the Roofs of Paris from 1930. But first, RJ, Mm. how are you? You're still uh, looking bundled up over there in your hoodie. It's a little chilly down there in the basement this fine spring day. I keep cold in here, man. We don't have the heat on. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like to wear, I think, bigger clothes are more comfortable. So I kind of like it colder. So this is the perfect time of year because you don't have to have like, it's not boiling hot outside and you have to have AC on, but you can, you don't have to have your heat on it either. So you're just living in this, uh, what, what are those called? You know, those things you pay utilities you're living in this utility free world where you don't have your heat on for a while and it's the perfect temperature mm. you can pop on a hoodie i'm wearing shorts Ooh, look at those gams yeah. yeah check out those gams and also this hoodie is like it's pretty thin it's kind of like t-shirt do, consistency how often do you watch that wash that hoodie because i, I mean, wash my clothes very regularly what's that's what's regularly for you I have two two pajama hoodies that I wear at home that cycle throughout the week. I would say a pajama hoodie, like this one, uh, I don't wear it out of the house. I wear it in my downtime after work and before bed, which I would say is between 5 to 10, mm-hmm. 5 to 11. Mm-hmm. So it's only getting like five hours of wear, and it's pretty low wear. I'm not sweating in it. I'm not walking around doing shit. It's not out in the filth of the world. Answer the question, please. I would say like four to five days. I would get out of a hoodie and then I'll throw it in the bucket. I see. Yeah, but I'm trying to stress the point that these are not street clothes. Those go immediately in the incinerator and I have a fresh pair of never worn jeans right. that I always swap into. That seems completely reasonable. It's pretty economically sound. Yeah. There's worse things you can do. And that's what we're about here on the uh, podcast. Being, Being econ- economically sound. <sighs> Talking through burps again? Yep. I made a pork carnitas on the weekend. Mm. It was like a whole day. I was really excited. I was like, I'm going to do it. I was like, I'm going to make pork carnitas tacos because I, I love getting them at uh, one of the local restaurants. Which one? Uh, Cafe Verde. Yeah. Shout out to them. Do you do you get the pork carnitas? I get the three taco. Burrito. I'm a burrito man. Burrito mm. minsman. Uh, yeah, I've got some taco stories I could tell you. Yeah, I mean, I'm open to taco stories. Yeah. Uh, do you want to hear about my taco yeah, experience we'll fin- first? Well, finish telling me about these uh, home brews. So I got this pork shoulder, and the recipe I looked up was like, do pork shoulder or pork butt? And I was like, all right. So I, I found a nice-looking shoulder, and I was like, I'm going to get this bad boy. So I uh, I had a rub on it, rubbed it up real good with some spices, some herbs. Uh, I got all the right stuff on there. And I popped that fucker in the slow cooker, cut up a bunch of onions, garlic jalapenos peppers threw all that shit on top and i had it in the slow cooker for like eight hours on sunday and i was looking forward to it all day jared i was like oh yeah i can't wait for that shit i got it out we had some corn tortillas andrea made like a pineapple salsa and i had a habanero sauce on the side and then i ate it and i was extremely disappointed 
and the taste profile of the pork. I found the pork to be exquisitely bland. And uh, I had to load it up with my sauces, which, I mean, I think is... pork, man. Pork? Yeah. I get it. I was just bummed out. Yeah, I don't know. I've always found that with that's my experience with, like, pork chops. Yeah. Um, If it's like, I don't know, I guess it was was on the bone, though, right? Usually that uh, adds some much-needed flavor. Yeah. yeah, I find pork, uh, you have to just, like, either, like, season it up or sauce it up. Yeah. Well, so that's why I was so... I don't know, like, bummed out by it. I was just disappointed because I was like, well, this is a major bummer. Like, where's, I don't know, too much sauce. It really, really left me wanting, I should say. So if anyone has any tips out there to spice up your pork carnitas, I'm listening. Mm Mm-hmm. I'm listening. What are your taco stories? Well, my taco story is, you know, uh, I like that taco time. So I had a little bit of that. Burrito. Mm-hmm, yeah. I added a little bit of that burrito action on uh, Friday, and then yeah. on Saturday evening for dinner with a friend, Corey, uh, we went to El Camal, which is a restaurant I have not been to in at least four years mm-hmm. um, for for good reason. <laughs> oh yeah, uh, tell me about it. It's it's not very good, RJ. It's not very mm-hmm. good. Um, historically, uh, this is a a restaurant that. Uh, has a very slow turnaround service wise. Um, and I I remember sometimes taking like an extraordinary amount of time to like get in, get your food and get out. Mm -hmm. Uh, that was not an issue this time. Uh, actually, uh, this time out, the food came pretty quick, but, uh, as I was eating my, uh, my chicken burrito thing, this gigantic slab of tortilla wrapped flesh and bean and rice and stuff. It's just like, tastes like, the exact same as five years ago when I last would have eaten there. And I was just like, this is Do you so... think it was the same one prepared from five years ago? It could have been. Like, my, had my name on it, wrapped it up, kept it in the freezer, and just uh, thawed it out. Because it just sucked, man. The sauces they use, it just... I don't like it at all. Make mine Cafe Verde. So a little roast and a little toast. Mm-hmm. Hey, do you want to hear an, another roast? I just got an email that I find particularly upsetting. Mm-hmm. I'm switching gears a little bit. I think we're done with tacos. Yeah, we're, we bo- we both had our points. Yeah, we're out of the Mexican business. So, Jared, are you familiar with this paperbacks from hell brand? Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. I am, but maybe our listeners yeah. are not. Okay, so maybe you can fill them in on the actual book itself because you okay. know more about that than I okay. do. Okay, so a couple years ago, there was a book that came out called Paperbacks from Hell, uh, co-written by Grady Hendrix, who's kind of a... Mm-hmm kind of a semi-popular writer writing like my best friend's exorcism that sort of stuff the covers kind of have these like jump like jump off the shelf kind of designs that look like vhs covers all Mm -hmm. kind of horror-ish stuff i haven't read any of the books myself um but the guy who wrote this book with another dude who's got a blog that is all about uh old paperbacks from like the 70s and 80s with like crazy cool covers ridiculous titles and just like trash subject matter they yep. used to be like a dollar a piece, and uh, this book uh, basically just covers all those ridiculous books, it's, uh, trying to highlight the best of those types of books, like which ones are like, because it's like there's so many of them, like which ones are good, and this one kind of tries mm-hmm. to pick up on the ones, or at least like the most salacious and most ridiculous ones. And uh, yeah, so this book became popular enough that Valcourt books, Valicourt books or something like Valicourt, that. Valicourt, yeah. Yeah, they uh they picked up the torch of saying, Hey, 
why don't we uh, get the rights for some of these wacky books and put them out there into the world again? But I think they're like, I'm not sure if they're like actually paperbacks or if they're now uh, like trade paperback books that are like $22 as opposed to $1.50. Mm. Um, and, uh, well, let me th- th- tell you about th- that well, once well, you here. keep going. Okay, okay. so they, 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 they're they doing it. They're using the original cover work. Uh, they're slapping the paperback from Hell logo on it. They're going to do 10 of these, I guess. Uh, mm-hmm. One of the annoying things though is that this it's a subscription service i guess out of the states and yep. uh they will only ship this subscription thing to americans and the uk and yep. not canada at all for some reason um and uh this was announced what three four months ago and we were like because yep. way back when i first heard about this we were both like oh that's kind of neat and you were like totally yep. on board getting onto these books mm-hmm. and uh waiting and waiting you're like hey aren't these going to show up on amazon at some point i'm like well you'd think so and it wasn't until what sunday night monday that, the day uh, before the release the, yeah, the of day the first before, book so the book comes out april 2nd and it first appears on amazon april 1st pre-orders like out of mm-hmm. the blue and you're like you sent me this and i was like oh cool and i mean that's kind of the last time i thought about it as you know i don't read so I, uh, i'm aware but i do so this is one of those things where um, I'm going to fill in the rest of the story okay. for you, Jared, because I've I've seen some developments and I'm going to agree or gripe about them on here. Absolutely. So I know Grady Hendrix because of like I used to listen to a horror fiction podcast and he was on there a couple times. Um, I haven't read any of his books either, but uh, I didn't actually know this paperbacks from hell until I saw it at your house the one time I visited the one time in the last like four years. Um, and I was like, oh, that's cool. I was like, I really like that idea. I um, like, I love the idea of it. And then I heard this guy saying how once the book came out, there was a huge inflation on these paperbacks and some of them were selling for like hundreds of dollars. And uh, they're like, well, that's not the point of why we tried to do this. And then that's when they did their rebranding. We're like, we'll, we'll produce them ourselves. And then I was, my, my ass was severely chapped uh, finding out our Canadian restrictions, which is nothing new. Yeah. This happens with every streaming service, with every physical uh, product or content. Like, we never get anything. Other than Criterion Channel, which is like... Other than Criterion Channel. Kind of amazing. Amazingly. Yeah. So, it like, I was expecting it, but uh, it's always like, you know, hopefully it'll come out. And I have seen that uh, they're advertising Paperbacks from Hell 2 and 3 also on Amazon now. But uh, there's no uh, pre-order available except for Kindle, which is like, I don't have a Kindle. I'm not going to read on a Kindle. I don't want that shit. Uh, But The Nest is the first book, and it did pop up a day before. And it was listed at $22 Canadian, but with free shipping with Prime. So I was like, all right, I'm going to give it a try. Because I like this kind of thing a lot. I read enough i used to read a lot not as much now but maybe this will help me get back to it and i was like all right i'll try this out so i pre-ordered this thing and then the second came and i was like oh it should ship today it should be here like tomorrow (laughs) no no jerry (laughs) and then another day passed and i was like i was like man that's weird why i haven't got that shipping notice oh rj welcome to amazon.ca so i went to amazon and i noticed that the book is in stock jarrett yep however its price has altered drastically. It is now $26 with uh, an $8 to $14 shipping fee on top of it. So it's like a $35 
plus book now yeah. for shipping fees. Okay. And then I just got an email that says, we have a delivery estimate. Because I did order it at the $22, yes. it'll stand. But the delivery estimate now for a book that is currently in stock is between May 7th and June 4th of this year. Mm-hmm. So this is a good two, three months from now. Well, uh, yeah. And I've played this game before. I'm going to get an email again in June and it's going to say, we have a new estimate for your order <laughs> and it'll say July to September. And then I'll get an email in September and it'll say, we have a new estimate for your order. So they want, I think what they're trying to, they're trying to, they're pushing me in a corner, hoping I'll quit and just rebuy this thing online. But uh, I just did a quick look. Indigo Chapters I was just gonna say, did you has check it out? available yeah. also with, there's no image, but it says The Nest and in parentheses, paperbacks from hell, Yeah, $25 in stock online. So I guess uh, this one's going to Chapters, which you don't get to do very often. But uh, I would rather go buy this from Chapters and actually get a book instead of waiting forever to save $3 because Amazon is fucking me over again. Well, what it means is that they they don't have any copies in their factories and they have no idea when they're going to get them, but they are, they will. I've gone through this with, uh, DVDs and Blu-rays many a time with the smaller labels mm-hmm. that I order from. Uh, I can't think of any specific movie off the top of my head, but there's been times where I've waited like four months for a movie to finally like ship to me. And it's like been out in the States for like months on end. And it's very frustrating, but I'm like, I'm going to stick to my guns. I'm going to make them honor that price. Um, and they usually do, unless it's like those limited edition, like sets that like arrow does. And then they just like cancel it on you. And you're just like, what, why did I do this? Yeah. So I've had this happen a couple of times. The one that like really fucking just angered me so much was I bought a copy of Mel Gibson's the man without a face (laughs) on DVD from Amazon. When I purchased it, it was $4. A week later, the price skyrocketed to like $68 or something like that. And I was like, whoa, good thing I bought it when I did. Uh, And then I played this game for, I think it was um, over a year and a half. I got an email every two months where it's like, we're still working on uh, uh, obtaining that copy. And I was like, listen, I just want to watch some Mel Gibson movies. And this is the only way I can get this. Just fucking do it, okay? Just fucking do it. Just fucking do it. So, anyways, I just want to tell you about that because I'm annoyed by this now. Yeah. Well, and I'm, I'm annoyed by you too for letting this happen. Yeah, I'm sorry. You should be. You should be. Well, RJ. Yes. With all with all that being said. Yes. We got an email this week. Singular. Singular. Longtime fan or first time long, long time. Long, long time. Okay. Frank, Sol- Frank Solano. Oh yeah, he's with, back with round two. Uh oh. And we're back this week for round two of your favorite program. Jared and RJ choose favorites and lose fans in the process. I don't, I don't think we're losing any fans. Not yet. <laughs> Since last week was seen for the 2000s, this week we'll step back to the days in which you guys grew up. There's bound to be a lot of bias in this round, so let's get started. Okay. Are you ready, RJ? I, I, I mean, I'm not going to be more ready. Okay, then. All right, first up, <laughs> 1995's Babe... Or mm. 1990s Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Okay, we're going to be split on this, and I think that's totally fine. I know you are a big Babe supporter. I'm yeah. speaking for you. Yep. Uh, I am a huge advocate in Ninja Turtles. Uh, I do think upon rewatch, Babe would probably be the winner for me, but I haven't seen Babe in a really long time. So I'll go with Turtles. Yeah, uh, yeah Babe. Babe's uh, mm-hmm. Babe's awesome. Yeah. 
From George Miller, baby. Yeah. Uh, actually, I don't think that is George Miller. He did the second one. George Miller didn't do Babe? He, not the, I think he wrote the first one, but I don't think he directed it. But he's somewhere in the mix. I, it was I directed by Chris Noonan. There you go. Who did Miss Potter in Vietnam. But I'm pretty sure he, he written by George Miller. Yeah, and, yeah. He, and he directed the second one. The second one. Which, is not, the which, city, which is not as good as the first movie. Contrary to many uh, mm. people's claims. Does it still have James Cromwell in it? Yes. Mm. It's, got, it's, it's, it's kind of a cool movie, but it, it doesn't have the uh, the unabashed joy of the first movie. Oh, well, oh, I own it. Oh, man. I'll check it out. This is rough. Nin- 1998, something about Mary versus 1994's Dumb and Dumber. Dumb and Dumber. Oh, man. Easy. So, they're, so, they're so good. They're both so awesome. Dumb and Dumber, for sure. I can't, I don't just know. say it. I don't know. Franks and beans. <laughs> yeah, something about Mary. You just, you just, yeah, I know. <laughs> you, you, you just conceded. You just, I, there you go. Dumb and Dumber is better. No, they're both like they're like equally amazing. That's all I'm gonna say. <laughs> all right, fine. You can uh, you can I, defer. That's I, fine. I, I I guess I probably would go Dumb and Dumber, like just because it's the first of the ones. I don't know if that makes any sense, but yeah, they're both incredible. Doesn't incredible pieces of filmmaking. <laughs> 1999's The Blair Witch Project versus 1997's Lost Highway. Oh, hmm. I don't think I've seen either of those enough to. Uh give a comment on quality. I'd say the Blair Witch sticks out with me more just because of its cultural phenom. Yeah, I don't know. Um uh, Lost Highway from like a the filmmaking David, just just from like a filmmaking David Lynch kind of thing, but mm-hmm. for like a certain type of like horror filmmaking and like vibe and atmosphere, there's they're so different to me. Mm-hmm. Um that it's like kind of like I don't know. I couldn't really. I couldn't say like one uh, or the other. I'd I, say Blair Witch, but I mean, I'm not saying that Lost Highway. Yeah, honestly, it's like isn't I, or I, like Blair Witch is yeah. better, but well, so yeah, because I don't think Lost Highway is even like one of David Lynch's best films, and I think Blair Witch Project's like a like a, an amazing piece of horror filmmaking. Yeah. Uh, so I'd say I'd say Blair Witch just on that, I guess. Even though I mean, it's not as well made, but I think it's just like I lo- I love that movie. Every time I watch it, I'm always yeah. like, I still love it. All right, yeah. next and this one here, who man. 1991's Silence of the Lambs versus 1995-7. The serial killers face off. Um, I'm going to say Silence of the Lambs. Yeah. Um, I know we've, Seven's we've, like we've, big and popular, but I, I liked it, but I, I don't think I was as hot on it as everyone else seems to be. Man, yeah, again, they're very like they're similar subject matter. Yeah. Uh I mean, we've we've talked about Sons of the Lambs on this show. Sons of the Lambs is amazing. Uh Seven, it's been a really long time since I watched Seven last. And uh Seven is really, really good. Like, yeah. But uh yeah, I guess Sons of the Lambs, I'd go with that too. Um because it's fun. Good. It's cause it's funny. <laughs> seven is it's a comedy? Seven, seven's also kind of funny. Hey, I don't know if people know, but Jarrett sends me goodbye <laughs> horses pretty frequently and i gotta say that's got to be my favorite song i think out of mm-hmm. any any music any music just music in yeah. general yeah so for that reason alone for that reason alone but, 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 but then he made me fuck her oh god hey hey it's too much that's good dial time. it back okay Dial it back. 1997's Boogie Nights versus 1995's Casino. Ooh. 
that one's legitimately tough. Oh, man, they're, again, they're so different. They're, they're they just occupy like mm. such uh, like they're just different types of movies for me. Like it's actually more like um, like if you swapped Casino out for like Goodfellas, I'd be like, mm-hmm. th- th- that's those two movies are, have more similarities to like. Okay, be, like do it now, up. then Casino or Goodfellas. Well, Casino or Goodfellas? Oh, Casino. I I yeah. I'm I a, agree. I am no. See, that's the thing though. I'm actually like that's like a minority viewpoint. People like don't like Casino that much. They like. Uh... Okay, I'm not arguing with you, but I, yeah. I agree with you. I think Casino is better. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I love Casino. I that movie's like three hours long, right? That is mm-hmm. like the easiest three hours of my life. Every time I watch that movie, it's just like, oh, it goes down so smooth. Goodfellas is awesome, mm-hmm. uh, like it is. But like, I just like there's some there's elements of Casino that I like so much. The the ridiculousness of like some of the scenes with uh, our good pal Joe Pesci. Mm. Oh, goddamn! Uh, Ace, Ace Rothstein's suits, uh, uh, suitcase pimp uh, James Woods. But, mm. but, but here we're talking about Casino versus Boogie Nights. Man, that is so tough. Like, because like that Boogie Nights is like such a goddamn like amazing piece of movie making too. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're just like, hey, hey people, just watch them. Watch them. Just both. watch them both. Yeah. I have a question for you, Jared. Yeah. Uh, and it's probably going to relate to our news segment later. But uh, what would you pick between Taxi Driver and The King of Comedy? Taxi driver. Okay. Yeah. I'll talk about that later during the news. Hmm. I can't imagine in what way that's relevant. <laughs> okay. Well, I don't uh, know either. Uh, 1994's Pulp Fiction versus 1998's The Big Lebowski. Big Lebowski. Yeah, pretty much. Like Pulp Fiction, when I rewatched that when I was dying of pneumonia infection, uh, mm-hmm. Pulp Fiction is amazing. That movie yep. like is like so perfect in a lot of ways, but I will watch Big Lebowski every day of the week before I yep. watch Pulp Fiction again. Like it's just oh, yeah. Pulp Fiction is an intimidating movie for some reason, even though it's like you watching, you're like, yep, this movie changed so much. And uh, Big but, but Big Lebowski, it's such a great piece of movie making. You know, what's, yeah. you know what's missing on your list here? Frank is Fargo. What the fuck? So okay, and, well, what would you pair Fargo with? Hit Frank with that. Simple. I see the obvious one would be simple. Simple plan, simple plan and Fargo. Mm-hmm. Those movies, like, because they're both the uh, wintry Midwest crime movies. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, I'd probably go with Fargo most times. But yeah, uh, that would be like saying, "Hey, folks, watch a Simple Plan. It's the best Sam Raimi movie, like, easily, hands down." Are better- you forgetting Spider Man Three? Uh, yes, even better than Spider Man Three. Yeah, even but yeah, than, a, a uh, Simple Plan is a quite good. Game. Yeah, and then uh, finally. 1992's Barton Fink mm-hmm. versus 1992's Twin Peaks Firewalk with me. Um, this one in a twi- is tough. In a twist, they're the, they're actually the same movie. Like you watch them back to back. it's like a, it's like part one and part two. I think you've said that to me before. Actually, something <laughs> similar. Uh, I'm gonna. I'll be the wild man here, and I'm going to say Barton Fink just because John Goodman is in it. It's got wrestling. Go- it's got and it's got wrestling. Yeah. If John Goodman was in Twin Peaks, there were, it would be no contest. And uh, I do love that fire walk with me, but Barton Fink's pretty good. Yeah, I mean... It's pretty good. It's, we've basically picked... Uh, I mean, every movie on this I'm on, except for like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, which is a... Yeah, that's fine. That's like a th- I don't that, that's like a three star kids movie at the end of the it's day. It's a five star affair all around the board, <laughs> but uh, you can but, but you can have your but, but like every other one of these movies, it's like yeah, these would all be in my like top twenty, top fifty movies of the nineties. Like they're, they're, these are slam dunks. 
Uh, though I do slam like though, though, slam dunks, but man, mm-hmm. yeah, between those two, uh, I think just like Fire Walk with Me. Oh man, they're so similar. There's like there's like even scenes I've talked about like the painting, mm-hmm. like the people going into paintings and stuff like that. Like ah, visually, they've like influenced me so much. Those two movies. Uh, again, coin tosses. I, Tell me more. Uh, well, you went but Barton Fink. I'll go Twin Peaks just to split okay. it. Okay, yeah, fine. Yeah, and then people Good. can watch these movies for themselves and decide. Uh, I yeah, really... and I would say take that, Frank Samano. Yeah, and then he writes, and this concludes our segment for today. Have fun, choose wisely, and be ready for next week's challenge as we'll be going back in time to the 1960s. Okay, uh, <laughs> here, here's a real one for you, Jarrett. Yo. Uh, Wayne's World or Ace Ventura? I choose death. Okay. Those are both five-star movies. I know you're some weirdo that doesn't like Wayne's World. But why not Airheads? Why not Empire Records? Why not? No one Cl- gives a shit about Airheads. Why, why not Clerks? Get out of here, Dan Aykroyd. <laughs> well, Nobody I'll, cares. Like, I'll pick like any fucking VHS staple of the 90s. Who cares? Who cares about these comedies? What about comedies? Princess Mononoke versus The Iron Giant? Mm-hmm. Or actually, let me rephrase that. Uh, Spirited Away versus the Iron Giant. Oh, I'd go Spirited Away. Okay. 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 I'm gonna I'm gonna give you with one more. <laughs> Cruising or shingles. The real life event, not the movie. Uh, yeah, I'll go with uh, William Friedkin's Shingles. Oh yes, yeah. Uh, cruising induced shingles. Oh, I'm sorry. That's a David Cronenberg's uh, shingles. That's a very scary movie. Oh, that one? Do you mean the fly? <laughs> That's what I looked like. You saw me. Yeah. I did look like a brumal fly yeah. for yeah. like three months. Oh, wait. What's this? P.S. I'm eyeballing the next co-host episode. Oh, man. I'm down to two choices. Won't be long. All right. Oh, dear. Well, well we, have, we have, I don't want to shake anyone's cages here, rattle any feathers. Mm-hmm. But the requests for guest hosts are flooding in. Flooding in. We're going to have to start blacking out some dates because mm-hmm. uh, they might be spoken for. Now, yeah. I don't want to spook anyone, yeah. but it is happening. No. I'm not just being an asshole. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All that, mm-hmm. All that cheddar just flying everywhere. Yeah, what is happening with that cheddar? I don't know, RJ. Once you have PayPal... <laughs> Nobody uses P- PayPal. I want everyone to email in and let me know what your preferred method of electronic money transfer is. Is it PayPal or is it e-transfer for your bank? And let me just re- let me just emphasize that whatever you write in and say is going to influence Jared's decision on whether or not he gives me money. So <laughs> the wrong answer is PayPal. The right answer is e-transfer. Email in. Let us know. I'll buy, I'll buy an Arby's here and there. You just, you just have to come out more often. The, I can't. My mom doesn't always let me leave the house. I got homework. It's a school night. <laughs> I know. Hey, RJ. Uh, what? <laughs> what you been creeping on this week? I watched some movies. You, Do you want to hear about them? Not really. These are these are some weak-ass movies. This is some real shit. Man, real did, shit. Did you really watch a movie with Steve Carell this week? I did. I did. That, that's the only one I can actually really talk about. Um, but you have movies to talk about this week, right? I, I do. So I'll fly through some of this stuff. Yeah. Hey, have you ever heard of Little Italy? No. <laughs> so it's uh, directed by this guy named Donald Petrie. He did Miss Congeniality, How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days, 
Mystic Pizza, Richie Rich, Grumpy Old Men, my favorite Martian, and your movie with friend of the show, Gene Hackman. Welcome to Mooseport. That's right. I watched this guy's movie. Stars Hayden Christensen and Emma Roberts. And this is, I, I got a full disclosure. I didn't rate this because I only got 25 minutes into it. But I felt like that was enough to credit it as a watch. So I'm taking it. Uh, it is two kids who grew up in a pizza place. Their parents, their dads both uh, own it. One does the sauce, one does the crust. It is a pizza place in Little Italy, Toronto, Canada. And uh, they're known across the city for their pizza. But then you cut to them as adults. The girl is a big-time fancy chef now. Hayden Christensen, that's right, Darth Vader himself, Jared, Anakin Skywalker. He is still at the pizza place, but the parents have split, and now they have two competing pizza places. And it's just not the same. Hmm. So I turned this on. Uh, it was on Crave, and I thought Andrea would be into it, and I was, like, working, so I didn't really care. I was like, throw on a movie, whatever. I was like, this sounds like rom-com thing you might like. Uh, she was actually the one who was like, turn this fucking shit off. And I was like, okay. Uh, it was quite bad, Jarrett. It was really bad. It's exactly what you expect. A lot of, hey, ooh, gabagool. <laughs> was, you know, this, I, was this a Sopranos episode? Uh, it wanted to be. It wasn't, yeah. but uh, there was a lot of talk of the gabagool, and uh, it just wasn't very good, Jarrett. Hmm. Well, hey, do you want to hear about Beautiful Boy? Oh, fuck no. Okay, so this is an Amazon Prime movie by Felix Van Groningen. I don't know what that guy is into. I, I just made a face because like, oh. <laughs> That's his real name. I didn't make that up. So this stars one of the most hated actors in Creeps history, Timothy Shalama. Oh, uh, he's in that too? Oh, yes. Oh, <laughs> he's the lead of this thing. Man, I can't imagine like ever watching this movie in my life. I, I don't think it's a, a Jarrett movie. Uh, I'll tell you about it, though, because I, I think it's it's not bad. There's some stuff in it, though, where I was like, ugh. Uh, first off, Timothy Chalamet sucks. That dude is so dumb. Like, he's not a bad actor, but he's just a real piece of shit human, I think. He's always retroactively, I really regret working with Woody Allen. Uh, I would never do that now. And it's like, shut up. You knew what you were doing, you fucker. Plus, he sucks. Uh, so he's in this thing, and uh, he plays Steve Carell's son. This is a real story about some guy who wrote for, like, Rolling Stone, uh, which was Steve Carell. And then it's in, I think, late 90s. His son becomes addicted to meth. So Beautiful Boy is about uh, a father and son. The son is a drug addict, and it's kind of him bouncing out of rehabs and then coming home and trying again and then getting sent back and coming home and trying again. So it's kind of like a true story. Uh, if you are interested in this, I don't recommend you look up what the real guy looks like because <laughs> it is a... <laughs> Uh, we watched the movie and Andrea's like yeah I like this movie and then she looked up the real guy she's like ugh she's like I don't really like this movie as much anymore he's pretty ghoulish which uh, is I guess mean to say about a person yeah. facing things on their appearance pretty much but uh, he is he's pretty ghoulish you're like whoa like the, like the guy or like the, the, the drug addict kid oh I think it's from drugs but uh, <laughs> I imagine he was pretty pretty happy when they cast uh, this like nineteen year old like heartthrob kid from Hollywood. Alleged, alleged, yeah, exactly. Um, this movie has some really good stuff in it. Uh, 
some of the way it's filmed is good and some of the emotional beats are pretty good. I thought Steve Carell was really good in it. I I could take or leave mm-hmm. Timothy Chalamet. I don't really care about him. Uh, but there's other things too. Like some of the stuff is really yucked up, um, which I mean should seem obvious, I guess, because of what kind of movie it is. Like they're really kind of going for it. But some of the scenes come off really uh, disingenuine. You're like, mm, I don't know about this. Uh, but it's it's a really weird mix. Like you'll have some scenes where it's like them as a family and you're like, oh, that's nice. It seems like a, an honest little moment like between family. And then you'll see another like scene that has them doing something. And you're like, people don't act like this, like not in real life. People don't act like this. So I think the one good thing is uh, I don't know. Uh, this isn't a good thing. It does kind of glamorize it a little bit, I think. <laughs> Myth. Which it, yeah, which isn't ideal. Uh, they do try to like show some stuff that like it's like oh here's the bad side of it, but I don't think they show it enough because this movie is all about basically the parents and it's not as much about the drug addict. So you don't see too much of what that entails. You don't see like this guy like taking dick for money and drugs, Aww. which probably happened. There's talk about it. Taking dick, huh? Yeah, there's talk about it in the movie, but like the most, the worst situation you see this guy in is like he pukes on himself and you're like, okay, I've done that before. That's no big deal. Uh, And then there's one scene in this movie, which we were almost like, we almost turned it off. We're like, holy shit, that's not like, you can't go this way. Steve Carell is like trying to get in the head of a drug addict. So he buys some Coke and he does it. And then he's like listening to jazz really fast and like running around. And we were like, ugh. Uh, we're like, all right, let's see where this goes. Because we're like, if it goes like a certain way, we're going to turn this thing off. Because he's a journalist. Because he's a journalist, man. Uh, I don't know. It's a mixed bag. I think there's there's some stuff that I think they do really well. But uh, I think there's also some stuff that you kind of roll your eyes at. You're like, I don't know if that's what people are like. I, and I'm speaking as someone who is not a drug addict. And I don't really know very many. So I don't know. It could be, but it doesn't seem like it. But the one big thing, Jared, there's a scene where Steve Carell is handling some urine over a sink and then he like does a drug test and then he like seals up the little container, throws it in the garbage and then he flicks the light and he leaves the bathroom and he doesn't wash his hands. Hmm. The fuck is that about? It's method. You ever just like touch a bunch of urine and then not wash your hands? Yeah. Not your own though. Someone else's urine. Every time I hang out with you. Mm, different. Okay, I got one last one for you, Jared. He's back. The Fallen Son. Mel Gibson, baby. I watched one of his earliest movies, Attack Force Z. Yeah, that's right. You probably thought I was talking about Dragged Across Concrete. But no, no. That's not available in Canada yet. I can't watch it. A few more weeks. Well, you could just illegally download it. I don't want to do that to Mel, though. Do you know how long that movie is? Yeah, is it like three hours? Yeah, it's like two hours 40. What the fuck? Well, whatever. I'm going to watch it. You will too. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, I'm cool. So yeah, I couldn't watch that. So Amazon Prime has this thing called Attack Force Z. (laughs) And I was like, hey, I've heard of that. And I can bump up my Mel Gibson numbers a little bit. So apparently this thing premiered at Cannes Film Festival because that's in the description here. It's a World War II gritty drama based on actual events. 
sent to rescue survivors from the site of a plane crash in South Pacific. Captain Kelly and his elite squad of Australian commandos must keep tabs on a defecting Japanese uh, official who could hold the secret to peace. Uh, Sam Neil, Sam Jurassic Park Neil is in this as well. Wow. Sam Possession Neil. Uh, this is pretty run of the mill, Jared. Mm. And uh, I'm a big Mel guy. I gotta say, they kind of wasted him in this. He wasn't the lead, even though he is his early days. He wasn't his early he days. He wasn't the star yet. It's more about this other guy who like falls in love with like a Japanese lady. But then there's also a lot of talk. There's like a guy who I think is white, but they're talking about they're like he knows the Japs. He knows their secrets. They're like, can we trust him? And he's doing like kung fu on people. You're just like, oh, okay. That's how that's going to go. This is more of us uh, people talking about stuff for an hour and 20. And then in the last 10 minutes, people shoot each other for a while. So not exactly a a slam dunk, Jarrett. Well, while you've been talking about these movies, I've been uh, writing out a list of like my, my hated actors. I'm trying oh, yeah. to think of yours. It's, I think it's very productive. Remember, okay. Remember, well, that's good. Remember Josh Harnett? What about Josh Harnett? He's horrible. He's a werewolf in a TV show. Yeah. Yeah, he sucks. Remember Jason Biggs? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I know Jason Biggs. So what is your thing against like late 90s, early 2000s uh, teen actors? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Who else you got on there? Uh, well, I got I got Steve Carell. Uh, that's like kind of like with an asterisk, like anything involving prosthetics uh, is just oh, like. So that, your, that's like, your gripe is specifically for Foxcatcher or what? Uh, that well, no, it's like he's got his wig acting in a Big Short, and uh, there's like another <laughs> I never movie. Saw where, that? Oh, I, I didn't either. But there's like and then and then a uh, Vice. He's in that too, and I think right. Mm-hmm. And, and I I don't know. He's, maybe he's always like. Ugh. I, I, he sucks. I can't take him. Well, I, you I, might I, get some heat for that. I, I, I like I like Michael Scott as a character, but um, and whatever Brick, uh, that stuff's fine. But yep. uh, ever since then, it's just like I would put Timothy Chalamet up there. Well, he's there. I, uh, see, I don't uh, even know Max if, Landis. Well, he's not an actor. He's like oh, he's uh, acting. Yeah, I got All your right. bo- your boy though, who we haven't brought up for a while. Uh, uh, old Jai Courtney. Oh, fuck, I hate Jai Courtney. He's been gone for a long time. I haven't had to think about him imagine, for so long. Imagine that. Maybe well, he's... apparently he's in the The Suicide Squad by James Gunn. Mm-hmm. He allegedly. Allegedly. Yeah, those guys suck. I'm sure there's more. I always have to like kind of uh, kind of put uh, brackets around Tom Hardy, though. Like He's one of those guys that like uh, he, he, he teeters. That's you. He teeters on the edge sometimes. I'm usually on board with him. Yeah, I don't know, man. Another, yeah. he he's like good in some stuff, and then other times just like, mm, like that Lock movie. Come on, <laughs> what Lock? I thought that movie was fine. Oh, you should you Were should you driving in the car. Yeah, you should never watch that movie ever again. That's what I'm trying. to get I wasn't at. planning to. See, that's part of the problem. Is that movie? And maybe hey, have you ever considered that maybe you're part of the problem? I am. I am the problem. I'm the viewer. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Do Do you have any other stink actors? Uh, not offhand, just, but while you rattle off some stuff about movies, uh, yeah. I could try probably think of some. Well, damn right you're going to do that. Sure. So before I get to the main event, which is The Beach Bum, I'm going to mm-hmm. rattle off some flicks. I watched a bunch of movies. 
Uh, clearing kind out of a bunch of movies. A bunch of movies of DVD, Blu-ray things that I've bought that I have not watched yet because yeah. I've been busy drawing. So uh, first up, we have Lady Street Fighter. Not to be confused with Street Fighter or... With Raul Julia? Yeah, or uh, the Street Fighter Collection with Sonny Chiba. Or not to be confused with the sister Street Fighter films that have also just been released on Blu-ray. No, this is Lady Street Fighter uh, from the was the American Genre Film Archive. Uh, they've been putting out these janky movies. Uh, this is what their kind movie. of janky? Oh, like movies like Bat Pussy. Uh, that type of that that. Oh, that. that's where you're going here. Well, no, no, no. It's it's no. This is no Bat Pussy, but no, okay. not many things can be. Um, mm, true. So, Lady Street Fighter uh, is a film about a uh, this Eastern European actress. <laughs> Who yeah. is, whose cast is the lead actor in this movie to do martial arts when she can yeah. barely do a kick and she can barely act. She can barely speak English and she's, okay. she is the main character. And uh, there's, there's many men with mustaches and big heads of hair in like, I don't know, early 80s Los Angeles. And uh, hijinks, what else? And, hijinks ensue. Uh, this what is, kind of this, hijinks? Uh, there, there's, there's a very, like, swarthy man with a knife who keeps, mm-hmm. like, threatening to, like, rape her and do things to her because he's also a hitman. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he never really gets to ever capitalize on any of these threats. Uh, mm-hmm. She's always outdoing him. And he goes, ah, my dick, as she kicks She's always out, dick, what? Outwitting him. Oh, I thought you said something different. Oh, I don't know what that word, word would have been, but. Um, okay. So anyway, th- this movie is, like, horrible uh it's it's a real piece of shit uh it reminds me of like Good. one of the last like really horrible movies i remember watching the black connection uh what was that one about uh las vegas and like a man mm-hmm. it, it's like lots of scenes of people going to airports and talking on phones this movie's not unlike that there is a uh a couple scenes in this involving these actor types doing things with their mouths though uh this man what are you talking about this man this like head of some sort of like FBI kind of agency, he is Mm -hmm. filleting a cigar in a way that I've never seen anyone do in my life. Like he's just constantly like Mm. running it through his lips, sucking at the tip and just like flipping it around in his mouth in and out over and over and over again. It's like they took all the footage that they, all the takes they got of him doing this and they they edited them all together. So it goes on for a while. And, Mm. And then uh, our, our lead, whatever her name is, Renata Jones or something like that. She, uh, she does the same thing, but with like a, uh, like a piece of celery that she keeps like dipping into her, like cheese whiz her, no, her, uh, tomato based alcoholic beverage, whatever that would be, but in a martini glass and she keeps like dipping it in and then just sucking on it and just like, and you're like, mm. what is, what, what's up with this movie? Um, what was up with that movie? I, I don't know. It's very poor. Um, very, very poor indeed. But I, hmm. I, I now own it um, on Blu-ray, no it less. Sounds like a personal problem, though. It is. It Usually they are on this podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, we followed that up also with another uh, AGFA movie, Ninja Zombie. Uh, Ninja Zombie. That sounds fun. Yeah, it's a little bit. It's, it's like twice as good. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. It's basically someone who really liked uh, uh, Tim Burton's Batman making a movie with oh. a su- with a Super 8 camera. 
the score is Danny Elfman-esque at times. Uh, it involves a, a dude who is killed by a leader of a spider cult and uh, a, a, J- a Jamaican uh, voodoo man brings him back to life so he can essentially get revenge. For Did it him. work? Uh, yes. Spoilers. everything 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 works out fine uh this movie is mostly just worth looking up for the the makeup of the the zombie man the ninja zombie Mm -hmm. uh the movie even kind of like ends on this sort of note where they could have had sequels because he's now got like a it's like an origin story for like were there any sequels there was not oh yeah it's too bad why not uh because they they ran out of super eight i guess oh Maybe some of these people got jobs and they didn't have time to do this stuff on weekends anymore. You should, um, but this you should movie, make a sequel. Well, they should. They should actually just you. remake. They should remake Ninja Zombie and like get John Lithgow as the bad guy. Mm. That would be pretty amazing because the guy in this is trying to do that. Yeah, uh, Laura Dern could be uh, the love interest because that's what the woman in this is Bruce Dern as well. Uh, you could get Paul Reiser maybe as the friend. <laughs> Uh, yep, that, he's different from Paul Schrader, right? Correct. Still, okay. still different people. I get that confused sometimes. Yeah, I know it's very uh, hard to imagine and not think about Paul Reiser directing uh, Mishima. I have a hard time not putting Paul Reiser or Paul Schrader in Mad About You. Mm-hmm. With with they're, with Helen Hunt. They're the same guy. Yeah. Yeah. Same difference. Same guy. I also had to return RJ to our good, close, personal friend of the show, oh. Jess Franco. Oh, what's and, he up to lately? Uh, well, he's dead. He's still dead. Uh, I, still? Still dead. He died. That's scamp. Yeah. And uh, I think he died like nine years ago, maybe. It was his birthday. If you say so. It was his birthday like yesterday, too, when I watched mm-hmm. this, which I, I don't think realized. Uh, right. I watched The Sadist of Notre Dame. That sounds like a porno. Uh, there's a little bit of like orgy stuff going on in this movie. Good stuff, or mm, so this is a movie that he shot. New okay. f- he shot new footage for this movie. He uh-huh. directed. He directed like in '75 a movie called Exorcism about like a maniac killing prostitutes. He then like made this movie four years later and reused like 80 percent of that footage and shot like another 20% of this movie with new stuff of him walking around. And it looks kind of mm-hmm. like a documentary at times. Um, so it's just like kind of the same old thing once again. And I've heard people talk about this movie in very high regard saying it's one of Jess Franco's best movies, whatever that is means. It? No, I don't think mm. it is. It did not keep my interest uh, the way that the best Jess Franco movies do. So that was kind of uh, a bummer, a letdown, because I was looking mm-hmm. forward to this because I bought it, whatever, sometime last year and finally got around to it. And it was like, oh. But I did get uh, Flowers of Perversion, the the book that Stephen Thrower wrote, uh, the second part to his big overview of all of Just Franco's movies, as much as can be done. And that book's awesome. That book's really cool. Flipping through it. I'm excited mm-hmm. to uh, read through more of it and see uh, what other Franco I should be checking out. I'm up to 40 and out of 189, and... Mm, uh, you're not doing very good then. Well, I fell off. I had that really great month where I watched like 38 Franco movies in like mm. four weeks. So that was awesome. Why don't you do that again? Well, we'll see. We got why don't, why don't you try to be better? We need more of those uh, Blu-rays to come out. Apparently there's like 25 in the pipe line. Whose pipe? The movie line pipe. Movie line? Yep. 
Do you, you notice I'm just saying stuff sometimes? You, you are. You're very I'm listening, you, though. Uh, it's debatable. And I, then, I am. Uh, and then, RJ. Yeah? I watched a film uh, that was brought to my attention by a friend of the show. The Beach Bum? Ryan Nagel. Um, oh, dear. What did you watch? You watched a documentary called mm-hmm. Carts of Darkness. Carts of Darkness? What is that about? It's a documentary Skate- from... Skateboarding? Two- no. Carts of Darkness. Uh, nothing in that suggests skateboards. But uh, this <laughs> is a do- it's from 2008. Uh, it's set in North Vancouver. And mm-hmm. it's about uh, binners, uh, hom- homeless people who collect cans. And uh, yeah. it's just about them living their lives. One particular uh, gentleman uh, likes to take part in his sport of his own design where he flies down giant hills in Vancouver on his shopping carts. Mm. Does he have fun though? He does. He has a lot of fun. Nice. He, he, there's a, there's a point where uh, he goes to jail for nine months and he gets out. And the mm-hmm. thing he's like mo- lo- most looking forward to is a Wendy's hamburger and uh, going down a hill. Is this a trailer park boys episode? It definitely has some uh, TPB vibes. Hmm. It sounds like it. But yeah, yeah, no, this is a this is a good find. Uh, I had not heard of this before, and then when I saw that it was like an hour long and on YouTube, I I was hmm. all over it today. So well, that's cool. So yeah. you heard this from a friend of the show, Ryan Engel? Yeah, he posted about it on his letterbox because I well, pay att- I pay more close attention to your friends than you do. That's all I'm Jared, say. how many how many people do you follow on Letterbox? Uh, like a hundred and five. And how frequently do the people that you follow, how, how frequently do all their movies just shuffle through your activity? All it's very, it's all very the, easy to miss stuff. All the time. All the very time. easy. Well. Is what I'm saying. Well, maybe you, maybe you two have something to talk about. Cause I don't know. Maybe you got some heat. I don't know. I'm just saying that, uh, I, I find it hard to keep up with anyone on the letterboxd. Hmm. Do, do you see? That seems like a, your problem. It is. It is my problem. Yeah. But it's your problem now. No, How? I'm fine. I'm fine. I make I'm, it I'm your fine. problem. I'm finding out about great movies. And this this is pretty good. This is pretty uh, nice sh- shot of poor people that I know you don't particularly care for. It's not that I don't care for them. It's <laughs> just that uh, you've painted them in such a bad light that uh, it's hard for me to look at them anymore. No. But it also kind of... Uh, ties in well with the the main event of my viewing this week because i went to the theater rj mm-hmm. and i saw the beach bum the I, beach I'm, bum. i am i am one of like a few people who saw the beach bum this opening weekend uh, as so, this movie rounded out the top 10 box office with like mm-hmm. a paltry 1.4 million dollars terrific what were they expecting it to make I guess I think more. I do believe it underperformed from what they were uh, forecasting. It wasn't that much Terrific. higher, so it did a little bit less. Uh, I'm in no way surprised. Um, yep. So anyway, my viewing experience. RJ, I'm gl- happy, glad to report that uh, I went to this uh, Saturday, first mm-hmm. screening of the day, matinee, and I was joined by Silver Fox. Silver Fox. He was there, eh? He was there. Not just He just doesn't go, just, just doesn't go to horror movies. He, he'll go to any old thing. Wow, that's good for him. Like, it's nice to see that he he's just like supporting movies and film, and mm-hmm. he's got similar taste to you. 
Did you talk to him this time? No, no, no. I, I don't know, man. I, oh. I, I, I respect his space, you know? I don't want to. Oh, that's fair, I, I guess. I don't want to be weird and make himself aware. And then he'll have to, like, I can't go to movies anymore. This is my one thing. And then. Do you think he's noticed you, though, too? Probably. Probably. Do you think he's like, why is that guy at mo- all the movies I go to? Is mm-hmm. he, like, a sexual predator? Well, I mean, those might be mutually exclusive things and both be true. Possibly in your eyes. Yeah. So anyway, so what, what's going on with this beach bum? Well, movie? this beach bum movie. Uh, the other thing I'll mention is so th- this time there was like not like a group of like ten, eight, nine year olds going to this movie. Oh, good, because this movie actually is eighteen A in Canada. Terrific. Yeah, because it's got some uh, it's got some cunnilingus simulated cunnilingus uh, going on. What do you mean simulated? Well, I I don't, I don't know if uh, Matthew McConaughey is actually like really getting in there. When he's going downtown, could have been. Could have been. I, I you don't, don't know that. I, I don't know. I, I just could have been. But uh, there's some of that at least simulated sex acts, and uh, okay, that's something that people go, ooh, eesh, frown upon that. But uh, you can like stab and slash people's throats uh, all day long, and everyone goes, cool. What do people do when they see that? They go, cool. Or no, the conolingus. They go, oh. Oh, okay. Now that then they get weird and have bulges in their pants or something. I don't know. Ooh, Jarrett style. Mm-hmm. So, uh, no, the, my favorite part though of my uh, audience experience was this theater was pretty empty. Behind us was mm-hmm. this like old Japanese man, a couple of like randos in the back that I didn't notice until the end of the movie. Um, but as the movie's about to start, these two big thicko men come shambling in, father and son. And they come to the row right in front of us, and this large son, just piebald, oh, horrible. He sits mm-hmm. in the seat directly in front of me and proceeds to lean directly back in his seat, parting Ooh. my legs. <laughs> Great. I'm like, don't you love it when that happens? I, it's like the entire row is empty, completely empty. Did and you move? Yes, I did. Because Chanel was about to burst out laughing. Like, she thought it was, like, so fucking funny. Because she's like, of course. Mm-hmm. Of course he did. Because this man yep. is, like, either doesn't care or just completely oblivious to everything. And then, like, his dad was just this, like, mountain of a man with um, suspenders holding up his pants. <laughs> Within the first two minutes of the movie starting, he got up and left. And 25 minutes later, returned. So I'm like, well, I guess he had to, like, go take care of that, I guess, in the bathroom. Take care of what? The the shit in his bowels, I guess. Mm. <laughs> like, Are he, you? So he missed, like, a full, like, third of the movie. Like, And so he came back. I'm like, he's not even going to know what's going on at all. Like, he won't know anything. And he's just going to sit there. And he and they both sat there motionless. They weren't laughing. They weren't, like, do, reacting. And I was like, what do these people think of this Harmony Corinne movie? What did they think of it? I don't, I don't know. They just got, they got up and left. I mean, they. I mean, before before the movie even ended, like just before like the actual title comes up at the end before the credits, the lights, the house lights came on. Like they were saying, "Get the fuck out, you <laughs> fucking losers! You reprobates, mm-hmm. get out of this stupid movie, you beach bums." Uh, the, the other bit uh, that was hilarious was like, uh, so the credits come along, Chanel and I. Silver Fox were left in the theater. And then like, I hear this like kind of like shuffling down from the top down. And I hear like that familiar sound of a cane. And I look over and there's this like 80 year old couple that are like nice. making, making their way down the steps. And I'm just like, what did they, what, what do they think they were signing on for when they went to go see the beach bum directed by one harmony Corinne maker oh. of such films as gummo and Mr. Lonely. 
Why don't you tell me what they uh, what they would have made of it? So does this movie have gummo levels of uh, no? It, well, so you haven't seen Spring Breakers, right? No, no. Okay, I'm aware of it. Okay, so I mean, this is like a continuation of Harmony Corinne's, uh love of the the Floridian aesthetic. Mm. Um, it's got the same uh, cinematographer Benoit, whatever his name is, who's like works on like Gaspar Noé movies. Um, mm-hmm. Who's got like a pretty beautiful eye for color. And uh, just like shooting everything, like his stuff looks amazing. Great, great look yeah. to these movies. Um, I really don't know what I think or feel about the Beach Bum because I know it's not as good a movie as Spring Breakers, and even that movie is like not for everybody. But it seems like mm-hmm. if you get it, you're into it. Beach Bum. I don't know if it's a movie that one easily gets because there's times where like it's a bit of a trial. Some of the scenes. Um, it's like the movie synopsis uh mm. matthew mcconaughey he plays moondog he's, mm. he's spending his time down in the keys hanging out with all the other like dropouts and tanned fleshed old weirdos getting drunk getting high banging just hanging out and uh he's married to this like incredibly rich woman that like loves him despite him being this like complete Un, like I don't know I couldn't imagine loving this man but she's into it but she's Not also very fair, but, uh, she's also got Snoop Dogg uh, playing Ooh. lingerie uh, a like drug dealer I guess uh, but he's cool he's a cool guy he's he's pretty chill he's got men just like Snoop him. yeah just like Snoop uh, Jimmy Buffett's in this as Jimmy Ooh. Buffett uh, Martin Lawrence has like a, a pretty uh, memorable sequence in this is movie is he also playing Jimmy Buffett no, he is playing a man operating a boat that takes people out to see dolphins. Oh, okay. And uh, it is uh, quite the quite the scene stealer. Doesn't sound like an RJ scene. Ah, uh, it's pretty good. I think I, you, nothing I, nothing happens to those dolphins, does it? No, 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 okay. no, 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 no. There is like this like ever present threat to this like really cute white kitten that uh moondog finds in the very first scene of the movie and then he becomes this like ever-present like familiar when he's down in the keys and you're like Mm -hmm. oh no something going to happen to this cat and he's like pouring milk for the cat and then he puts booze in it and i've seen some people freak out but i'm like the cat like clearly didn't drink any of that it's just Mm. like this cat it's it's no uh it's no gummo as far as the treatment of uh animal Mm. kind uh yeah so there's like nothing on that uh front but uh, I've seen some people have some strong opinions on the Rotten Tomatoes audience reviews. Who are oh, just I'm like, sure. Just, man. Yeah, because this movie, I, I I went in. I didn't realize what its rating was at all in Rotten Tomatoes, which I, I will tell everybody. I think that's the best way to treat life. Do not, yeah. don't look at Rotten Tomatoes anymore. It's just. I don't think I have in a long time. It's, it's just not worth it. Like, it's just frustrating. Yeah. And uh, when you find out what things are certified fresh and you go, <laughs> like, fuck off. Like, how can a movie be at 78% and still be certified fresh? Like, it's an embarrassment. Bohemian Rhapsody? Captain Marvel. Oh, Jared, don't take a political stance like that. <laughs> it's like, no. I so, got to distance myself now. So that movie, I remember uh, the week it was coming out, it was at 93, and then 91, and then 87. And then all of a mm-hmm. sudden, it went to 78, and it's still certified fresh. I don't I don't understand. Of course. Um, and us is like whatever ninety seven percent, and it's just like a, this is the state of um, American film criticism, I suppose. Anywho, uh, so yeah, Beach Bum, I think is like I think I saw after the fact it was like fifty three percent audience score, like forty <laughs> percent. 
or something like this is atrocious. But I'm like, yeah, no, Beach Bum is not for everybody. But I will say, uh, after like going through the watching the entire movie, there's some really uh marvelous moments in this thing. Oh, Jonah Hill's in it with just like a hilariously bad southern accent, and it's just like stuff that teeters on the line of like bad improv between like famous people they're mm-hmm. allowed to just rift and like riff on one another and they're like they're laughing through their lines and like trying to not like leaving that stuff in i don't know if this was like a will ferrell movie with seth rogan and they were like leaving this stuff in it would just be awful but uh they wouldn't be this well shot um mm-hmm. but yeah anyway the synopsis of this movie moondog he's a he's a burnout writer poet who's just like hanging out loving life and then uh tragedy strikes rj <gasps> after his he daughter, get a divorce uh, no after his daughter gets married tragedy befalls his wife and uh there's some stipulations about like him inheriting the money he has to finish writing a novel finally mm. so He's kind of like out on the streets and having to write his novel, write his poem, his second book of poetry. And uh, it kind of just kind of goes from there. Um, I don't know, man. Is it is it a good movie? Like, did you like this thing? Yeah, or? I mean, I've been thinking about it like continuously this week. I know I, you wouldn't like this movie. No, it's not an RJ pick, I don't think. What, what kind of stuff is in there? And don't just say dirty people, because I don't mind dirty people. I had a different problem with Gummo. It was dirty people on top of animal abuse, on top of uh, even dirtier people, on top of SpaghettiOs in the bathtub, mm. and such and such. No, it's a bit. It's it's a lot glossier because it's Florida. Uh, mm. Harmony Corinne seems to be kind of like somewhat on the side of this worldview, mm-hmm. which is like what I like about Spring Breakers. Like I would say, like you should watch Spring Breakers first and then yeah. watch Beach Bum, kind of acclimate yourself. Uh, yeah, I, I, I mean, there's also like elements of like the, the this movie was inspired by Jimmy Buffett songs, and uh, depending on how you feel about mm. Jimmy Buffett politically, and uh, as a I think he's fine, I don't a, know, as a lyricist, um, this movie's got some sweet music drops uh, that I was a fan of. It's got some mm-hmm. uh, Gordon Lightfoot and uh, some, some uh, other stuff I wouldn't get into because maybe it's spoilery. But mm-hmm. uh, all I know is after watching this movie. Uh, Chanel and I left the theater and we we're like, Hey, let's go grab some lunch at the food court. And I'm like looking around myself and I'm just like, this is such a sad, dis- desaturated <laughs> world that we live in. Why, why have we left Florida? Why have we left Margaritaville? And I'm looking at all these like dumpy, mm. soft people around me. And I'm just like, man, <laughs> this, that, that, this is like loathsome and strange as a world that is that one that beach bum presents it seems like such a better one than this one that i'm living in right now and and this has lingered on for (laughs) for like days now and i just look around i just go "Mm, man all all those dumpy soft people were looking back at you they didn't watch the beach bum they're like Mm -hmm. they're probably just like numb to it but when you after you watch this and you have this like experience you get experience that high and you're just like hmm Bring the color back, Jarrett. I, I can't. Bring the, bring back the Caribbean fever. Yep. I don't know. Do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I'm glad that you liked it. Uh, I, I I will watch it eventually. Yeah. Eventually. I'll watch everything eventually, yeah. Jarrett. Well, there you go. Yeah, movies. Um, yeah, movies. Yeah. Oh, hey, RJ. What you got any uh, news for us? 
Hey, I got three actors that I absolutely hate. Cool. Ed Helms. I hate Ed Helms. He's he's your Steve Carell. Oh, fuck. I hate that guy so much. He's such a fucking piece of shit. (laughs) I really dislike that guy. Who else? He's not funny. Jason Sudeikis. Another piece of shit guy. Uh, all, com- he's, he's all, all, all these comedy goofs. Yeah, they're comedy guys. But like, I think Jason Sudeikis is such a smarmy, arrogant fucking prick. Like, I just really don't like him. Okay. And then uh, the last one I've mentioned before, uh, Kumal Nyanjani. I think that guy sucks. I really <sighs> dislike him. Yeah. It's, it's getting real political now. That's more. Yeah. The reason I don't like him is not as much as acting. I think he's fine at acting, but uh, I don't like his his whole bag where I don't know. He seems over the top with things where sometimes I'm like, it's like, do you really believe these things or are you playing the part? He's you mean as an actor? <laughs> well, I don't know. He has like a lot of, a lot of movements on the, the internet. Uh, and a lot of them, it's like, I think I've said before to you with like certain celebrity type of people, it's like, I agree with all the sentiments that they're like the message they're trying to say, but the way that they say the message, I find, as you would say, problematic as I would say, as you would say problematic. So I agree with a lot of the stuff that he says, but, uh, I don't love the presentation of said information. What? I don't even know what you're talking about. <laughs> he's like, he's just like uh, a social justice warrior on oh, Twitter. Oh no! And he like, he like attacks people and gangs up on people. Oh, it seems like, man. or it'll be like the kind of thing where someone will tweet something about him, but not tag him in it, and then he'll reply to it. So it's like searching his name on the internet and then replying to the people who like oh. say bad things about him. See, I, I've, uh, I'm not aware of any of that. I haven't, I haven't really, like, I just know he's in movies and yeah. people really like to lose their mind about how great a performer he is. And then I just like watch the movies and I go, yeah, he's okay. Like, but yeah, no, he's fine at acting. It's, I think it's his online profile that has made him, uh, mm. the thing that it, it, he is. Mm. So that's three guys I don't like. Cool. Ed Helms for sure though. That guy really sucks. And Jai Courtney. You forgot about him. Yeah. Jai Courtney sucks big time. Yeah. And then, uh, what's his face from Dracula untold? Luke Evans. That guy also sucks. <laughs> Another one of the Gennaros. Yeah, he's not a comedian, but I don't like Luke Evans either. Okay. What's your news, big dog? Moon uh, dog? Well, okay. I got, well, we've got, I'll have a news and then we'll talk about the trailer. But uh, okay. my other news thing is that, uh, I don't know if you saw, this was like a weird thing that crept up this week. So, AB Club or former AB Club writer, Scott Tobias, he's a film critic. He's been around for a long time. Sure. He, he kind of mentions this tweet that's come out and i've seen people like really complaining about the netflix twitter presence as a as whatever they're doing they're really annoying and like awful uh, in this smug way so there was like some some random chud dude was like talking about like some movie that brie larson directed like a couple years ago is being released and put out by netflix and this yeah. guy was like complaining about it saying she's just right in the wave of captain marvel <laughs> or something dumb and then she yeah. like she said some shit to him or no no she sorry she came later he was saying I, something about her and then netflix netflix replied, netflix replied and then like there was just like, and then she was like Netflix, and uh, it's like everyone's like, yeah, fuck yeah, woo! But you're like, but like the the thing that like Scott Tobias was saying on until he got dogpiled hard, yeah, because 
it seems like it's you can't talk negatively ever about Netflix now because if you do, people get mad, like Steven Spielberg, which we didn't talk about, like whatever it was, mm. uh, like from like a few weeks ago. Uh, yeah, it didn't seem like re- like that important. No, it seemed like it was like him just rehashing things he's complained about in the past, but then now he's like now he's like pushing for this rule change, and then it was later revealed that he's doing stuff for Apple's streaming service. But it's like, mm-hmm. well, that might be true, but is he going to like not be fine with his movies not being considered? They don't have a theatrical release. And then there was mm-hmm. like some other thing that like dropped to that, like just comp or oh, I think it was like the like American like attorney general made some vague threats about the Oscars doing this because they're like, well, we might have to look into this. <laughs> like for an antitrust standpoint, you're like, what Jesus. the fuck? They're okay with goddamn Disney acquiring Fox. Mm-hmm. And they, but they're like, they don't like the idea that the Oscars might not like pick Netflix movies for Oscar consideration. Well, that's, cares? that's their fucking, that's what their priority is. <sighs> it's, it's fucking bizarre to me. But um, yeah, like, so this, the thing was like, so this loser dude like gets just like gang raped online until like, whatever you don't, you don't say anything online. Just be a ghost. Yeah. Don't post online, I guess is mm-hmm. what the lesson here is. But it's like also this creepy thing of like Netflix corporate kind of, they're like using the online to like just use anonymous nobodies to like propel themselves. It's like so weird. Um, And they're like, people are like, well, it's good marketing. (laughs) Like, Oh, great. It's great. It's good fucking marketing. It's like, no, like I fucking, like I shit on Netflix every fucking week. Every time it's Mm -hmm. like, Hey, here's the new Netflix TV show. Here's the next Netflix movie. You watch them go. Yeah, that sucked. This sucks too. Or at best. Oh, that's fine. At, At most not like this is a game changer. Yeah, at best. At it's, best. It's fine, I guess. Yeah. So, I don't know. I thought that was a curious thing from this past week that will, like, never be brought up ever again. And we'll just, like, continue to, like, slide into the oblivion of, yeah. like, uh, the monoculture. It's, it's, it's going to be a fun time. But, hey, RJ. Yeah? How about that The Joker trailer? Oh, do you mean just Joker? Or just Joker. Just Joker? Well, it's okay. Like, uh, it's like how I like to say the Walmart so this is the Joker trailer. Uh, okay, Jared. Jared, okay. We'll talk about the Joker trailer. So I, this morning when I woke up, I uh, usually have my coffee on the toilet like a grown-up because I like to double task. And you swing by the Batman official Twitter? Uh, yeah, I pop up the Twitter and I usually watch the trailers without sound as uh, I've been known to do. Uh, but I saw this thing on there and I was like, you know what, Jared? I'll watch this one with sound today. So I actually did turn the sound on for this thing. Uh, And so I watched it and then I was like, okay, so um, this is what I think they're doing. And then I just, throughout the day, I wasn't on a lot, but I just flipped through Twitter. And there was a lot of comments on people who seemed to be surprised that this thing had Taxi Driver, King of Comedy vibes. But it's like, they announced that like six months ago <laughs> All right. or Years a year ago, ago when they yeah. when they started filming. Because I remember on this very podcast, I think, when they showed that thing, Todd Phillips is like, yeah, it's going to be like a mix between Taxi Driver and the King Comedy. So it's like, I don't know why people are surprised by this now. Or is, is it like fake surprise? Or they're, it's are, like, or maybe they're surprised by how like literal that is like how it's like very hard to miss that without knowing that factoid or maybe they don't even know because they don't remember news because it just cycles out of their head maybe Maybe they're twitter warriors like uh some celebrities Mm -hmm. and they're just 
playing the game and buying into their role. So anyways, Jarrett, uh, I watched this thing and um, I more of us had the same response to when I saw that first picture we talked about, like in the fall. I was like, I don't know. I think it looks fine. I'll go watch it for sure. Uh, I'm more into this than any of the Marvel stuff. So there's obvious things like I know that some of it you watch, you're like, Ugh. Uh, and like some of the very literal takes it has from other movies. But I don't know, man. I think it's fine. Other than Joaquin Phoenix going around putting his fingers in little kids mouths, uh, which I think is probably Bruce Wayne. Uh, that's kind of weird. But I don't know. You you can tell me about how you didn't like it. But I I don't really I don't even know what to say. It's like it's a trailer like edited nice together i don't know if todd phillips is a particularly good director he might have a good cinematographer on this thing but uh i don't know i'll i'll go watch it for sure i i have i have no idea what to think let me tell you a tale rj okay so, lay it on me i'm a i was a kid whatever uh you were a kid i was a kid at one time in my life oh yeah and uh i love the joker i like joker's like my favorite character ever oh, as kid Oh man, uh, like no, my like I think my love of the Joker goes back to probably I don't know if like the Batman '60s cartoon would market it like because it's like sure. Cesar Romero is like the Joker, but I was like sure. he's a cool looking villain. He's 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 neat. Um, yep. And I mean whatever, it's just like coincides that yeah he's Batman's number one foe, and uh, I always remember being like really kind of like disappointed that big old stocky Jack Nicholson is playing the Joker and the the first Batman movie. Cause it's like, no Joker's supposed to be lean and stuff. And, oh, and, and, lean. Hey, well, we, we should be, well, we know that, uh, from reading our trivia that at one point, Brad Dourif was going to be playing the Joker. And that would have been, a he was the a, first whole, pick. A, a whole new ball game. That would have been, mm-hmm. that would have been a game changer. And I think uh, they should still get him, bring him back. Oh man. Oh, grandpa, grandpa Joker. So, Why not? uh, and then, yeah, I was been, been a Joker's man. And then like, you know, stuff like the Batman killing joke, like that, just like the mm-hmm. image of like Brian Boland's like iconic cover that Alan Moore comic that he like thinks is a piece of shit. I still think it's pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean. Joker's awesome. I have a, uh, I think it's still at my parents' house, this Graham Nolan sculpt or a design uh, Joker statue of him like holding a skull like Horatio. It's awesome. I like See, that I, I have to ask you, yeah. in on a level from that to the Bane statue, which one is the best? And are they not the same? Well, mine is discreet and small and based on a comic. Yours is based on a mediocre movie. <laughs> Mm, yes, but tomato potato. Yeah, that's correct. What I, that's what I thought, and it goes along uh-huh. with my uh, Tom Grummet's base sculpted uh, Robin. Austin Grummet. Tom Tom Grummet. Oh, okay. Yeah, I don't yeah. know who that is. He's an artist. Look him I'll up. Take your, I'll he's, take he's, your he's, word for it. He is like a very average comic artist. But anyway, okay. uh, so yeah, I like that Joker. Uh, Dark Knight is an incredible movie. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think Joaquin Phoenix is a pretty ace actor. And sure I, I, I'm kind of like super stoked about how this movie is going to work out. Uh, Todd Todd Phillips, is that the guy's yep. name? Him directing this is not, this... A, not a great thing probably. Like yeah. I feel like, I don't know, Warner Brothers have like amazing trailer people. As uh, mm-hmm. I think we can all go, hey, remember that Watchmen trailer that mm-hmm. is like fucking amazing? 
They 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 knocked Movie these two though. And and that hey that first Suicide Squad trailer was awesome mm-hmm. too. Because all you do is like hey just cut this thing together, put some music to it, and uh, make watch the money come in. <laughs> yeah. And then what did they do? They watched the money come in. Like Suicide Squad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But uh, anyway, yeah, I don't know. This trailer wasn't like it's in line with what we've been seeing teased in. Yeah, we get uh, Joaquin Phoenix doing his like weird laugh because uh, just like in Beach Bomb with Moon Dog, Matthew McConaughey, he, he could have played Joker here too because he's got his laugh. <laughs> uh, 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 uh. Is that how he does it, McConaughey? <laughs> Something like oh. that. Oh, yeah. Oh, so you're on board with this Arthur Fleck biopic, hey? Fuck yeah. Yeah, I don't know. That's what I mean. Like, I think it looks looks pretty good. I'm gonna go watch it. Yeah, I'm, I don't know. There's nothing. Uh, it's not like say some of the Mar- last Marvel movies where you watch the trailer and there's just audible groans from the crowd. Uh, <laughs> uh, or like what I was saying in the last one, uh, the CGI when I saw the trailer for that, and I was like, holy fuck! Like a human body flying through space, blowing up spaceships, and I was like, this doesn't. This doesn't look good, you guys. Yeah. You shouldn't. Uh, you, you, this, this isn't what I want to see. So uh, watching this one, yeah, this morning when I was on the toilet, I was like, I don't know. <laughs> looks good to me. I'll check it out. Then. <laughs> boop. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. No, uh, so I'm on board. I, yeah, I was kind of like scamming uh, on uh, Twitter, seeing what people oh, yeah. thought. And boy, oh, boy, hot take alerts. People are just like, oh, what is this set in the 70s? <laughs> I'm like, oh, who cares? It looks who gives good. a shit? It looks awesome that way. <laughs> That's why. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I honestly, I don't know, like, people who complain about stuff like that, it's like, who fucking cares? Do, do, do these uh, do these motherfuckers care? They're like, well, who's Captain Marvel set in the 90s? And then it's like, oh, she's got a, like, nine-inch nail shirt and some flannel. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I The things that I found annoying were the people who were, like, really hammering down the king of comedy thing it's like yeah it's it's like that's what they wanted to do so what are we what's the problem here and then i think there was the the batman guys who are a little too hard on the details between the relationship between batman and joker mm-hmm. where they're like batman can exist without joker but joker can't exist without batman and it's like i get it i i have a batman tattoo jared <laughs> I, I am a fan. Uh, I, under, I understand. <laughs> you also have but a it's Swamp a, Thing tattoo. That's pretty cool, though. You have to admit. Swamp Thing's pretty cool. It's, it's, hey, are, that TV show's coming. Yeah, I'm going to check it out. Yeah. I like Swamp Thing. It's got it's an eco-friendly hero, Jarrett. Save the Earth. Don't be a prick. But anyways, I was going to say, uh, I am one of those Batman fans. But at the same time, I think I can safely say... Don't get don't get too hung up on these little details, you guys. And that's the guy who gets hung up on every little detail about everything. <laughs> exactly. So even I'm just like, relax. Let's let's go check it out. Hey, are we so, going to Are we going to Pet Cemetery this weekend? Well, you just ruined the surprise for the show. <laughs> I was asking. Uh, yeah, I'm on board. Go, it's go, it doesn't go, start till two though. Dead, so dead, dead dead animals and creepy kids with masks. Yippee! Are we gonna go to Harambe's before? Uh, but by, by that time of night, I don't know, man. Who knows? It would be like one o'clock. That's pretty late lunch. Oh man, Hot pretty lunch. late lunch. Yeah. Anyways, before oh. we get to do that, we gotta talk oh, about right. these movies. 
Oh, right. <laughs> After the break, huh? RJ and I turn to black and white and break out of jail and become successful. Go to Arby's. Criterion Creeps podcast, and tonight we've got a doubleheader, a Renee Claire doubleheader. Uh. First up, A New La Liberté from 1931, synopsis from Letterboxd. In this classic French satire, Louis, a convict, <laughs> escapes from prison and takes on legitimate work, making his way up in the business world. Eventually becoming the head of a, success, a successful factory, oh, uh, Louis opts to modernize his company with mechanical innovations. But when his friend Emile finally leaves jail years later and reunites with uh, Louis, the past catches up with them. The two, worried about being apprehended by police, long to flee the confines of industry. That's a pretty descriptive uh, synopsis there. It's not too bad. It's a, Does it say what a new of a liberty means? No. Well, I looked it up because I take this podcast seriously. Yeah, and? It means freedom for us. Yeah. It's like it's like the song at the beginning. Oh, it is, isn't it? Yeah. Well, I didn't know that, and it doesn't say it on Letterboxd. Hey, RJ. Yes? Have, have you watched Modern Times, the Charles Chaplin film? Uh, I would say that I have, but it was probably so long ago, I don't quite remember. <laughs> Why? <laughs> But is that is that bad etiquette? Yeah, maybe. I didn't want to take a pause to yawn. Well, I figured I could just talk through it. Well, RJ, uh, yeah, it's some strange coincidence. Those those uh, modern times and a new liberty came out around the same time. In fact, uh, the timing was so strange, according to Charles Chaplin, uh, that there was actually a legal suit involved uh, with these with these films, saying that this film ripped off the other one, or maybe it's the other way around. I don't know. Is Modern Times a similar storyline? There is a lot of assembly line worker humor. Oh, okay. <laughs> Based humor uh, on that kind of idea. I'm unaware. That's why That's why you're here. In these uh, savage satires, as we've uh, talked about in the past, I'm not a Is it a satire or a farce, Jarrett? Ah, it's uh, satirical. It is, oh. not a, it is not a farce. See what I did there, though? Yeah, I know. I did that thing all, that you do sometimes. All my, my literary 
terms that people throw around to disguise mm. their lack of, of good movies. Talk. No, but they're like allegedly. Of being... I didn't do it. I'm innocent. Yeah. All those things you throw around there. Mm-hmm. So here's a movie. It's a. It's yes. kind of like it's kind of like this podcast. One might say it's about two it? friends. Oh, two we're not friends. friends in 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 a prison together. Oh, that's actually pretty close, though. It's a metaphor. We have said many times that this podcast is a prison, and one of them breaks out, which hasn't happened yet, and uh, becomes a uh, captain of industry at the old record mm-hmm. shop, being a, a record salesman on the street to running the whole shebang. Uh, mm. And then we get we these we, we get these satirical juxtapositions, though, RJ, of like the assembly mm-hmm. line in a prison of making mm-hmm. dolls to being an assembly line worker at a factory. And it's like, is prison in life, is there really a difference when you're working for <laughs> the man? Well, to grow up is to work, Jared. They tell the kids that mm-hmm. throughout the movie. Yep. And so <laughs> we had some songs really showcasing uh, that we now live in the sound age because this is 1931 mm-hmm. and you just get people to sing whenever you can. <laughs> um, yeah, why not? Yeah. Uh, buddy, our, our second buddy, he's like really sad that he's still in jail. Uh, and, uh, he, he lucks out, gets to escape and, uh, sleeps off in the park. And, uh, anyway, he winds up. <laughs> Keep working. going. Show me more. <laughs> he winds up working for the company and finding out that his, uh, good buddy, uh, Louie, he's the man who's running the whole shebang. And, uh, then they hang out and get drunk and libations are had. Uh, and then yeah. we, we get, we get some, we get a love romance. Uh, we get, uh, we get some sno- snobs versus slobs kind of angles involving cake. Mm-hmm. Um, and a whole lot of what have you, um, RJ. A lot of what have you. Yeah. Yeah. Tell me more. This is the best of the two movies that we'll be talking about tonight. Can I interrupt you for a second? Yes. I agree. I actually think this is the best of the two movies we will talk about tonight. <laughs> that that being said, what we yes. what, what we have here is not a whole heck of a lot to talk about. Okay. Um, I recall now when we talked about Le Million, uh, mm-hmm. Renee Claire's first entry in The Creeps, I was kind of like on the defense on this movie, on that movie at least. I was Against like, yeah. me? No, like you weren't like, you didn't really care about it one way or another. I was like kind yeah. of pointing out elements of it that I liked. It kind of had this naive charm to it. Um, it had like some kind of something going on. But then mm-hmm. I've now since watched more Renee Claire films uh, from the same era and I realized it's like he's got kind of the same bag of tricks and like yep. the same kind of and it's like oh that's kind of novel the first time but then you watch like three of these movies and you go he kind of does the same thing poorly all all the time like there's mm-hmm. some there's something just like i don't know this these movies are 80 years old yes so or coming up 90 somewhere closer to that and uh, we've seen a lot of stuff in between there Mm-hmm. So maybe coming to these films, it's like as uh, that one fellow was informing us on YouTube on our sister's review that we're not looking at these movies right. We need to like teleport our minds and sensibilities to 1931 to truly be able to experience and watch you these can't do movies. That. But oh, people wait, can't we, do that, right? It's actually impossible. We have to watch them <sighs> as they are now. Um, and <sighs> I, I find it telling that when you look up the uh, the essays that accompany these films on the DVDs, they're they're pretty short. They're they're pretty. Mm. Like they're almost like what 
people write when they want to be polite about films. It's like if you write, yeah, he's a very nice boy. He just yeah. has some excitement problems. <laughs> um, yeah, so it's like, yeah, look, look at the way that the Rene Claire made these shots in these movies. And you're like, yep. You mean like every director who's ever existed has planned shots? <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he's made he's made choices <laughs> like oh what a novel idea it's a good thing this is in the Criterion Collection um, mm-hmm. yeah I don't know modern time like <laughs> modern, modern times is a better movie like did you well, watch that this week too? no I didn't but I've seen oh. it and I know that it's like but even like those like Charlie Chaplin movies like are like maybe even over regarded. But uh, yeah. there's like still like a lot more visual flair going on in the, those movies than in this. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I have not much to say. RJ, okay, I'll let, yeah, let yeah, me go. Take go, it. go for it. What did what did you? How do you feel about this uh, film? A nouvelle liberté. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I agree with you. I think this is the better of the two. Now, my first two notes, Jarrett. Uh, I'll read you in the order that they came to me. My first one was. There's something charming about singing inmates. And then my second note was, oh, it's a musical. Because I hadn't pieced that together. I thought it was just like this really playful scene where I was like, oh, look, they're having so much fun. They're in jail. Uh, And then a second song happened and I was like, oh, okay." And then a third song happened. and I was like, oh, all right. And then I think halfway through the reliance on the music and song is it's less dependent on that. So they kind of lean away from it, which I think is the right call. Uh, So I don't know why it was so built in into the front, but I think this movie has some boring qualities, but I actually (laughs) let me surprise you, Jared. I actually didn't mind it. I thought this one was watchable for sure. I watched it and I was like, yeah, that's Mm. not bad. I was like, I can kind of see why this is in here. Uh, And for a few reasons, like I think, the I think he shows some stuff like in a really, really neat and cool ways where uh, like some of the ways that he shows the automated lines and I haven't seen modern times, so I can't speak to that. Maybe that's better because I'm giving this thing like more attention. If it did just copy that, I don't know. That sucks. But I liked the way that they showed the automated lines, like the conveyor lines. Sure. There's the really obvious ones, like the division of labor. Not that those ones as much. I liked the food lines when it was just like huge bowls of food going down the conveyor lines and people were just kind of free pouring it on themselves. I thought that was really cool. And then I liked the way that they incorporate more of that kind of stuff, like the um, the message tubes. And uh, the moving like numbered records and filing cabinets where the message tube goes out and the cabinet comes out and then all the papers like rise up on their own. I thought that stuff was pretty cool. So I like the way that they showed that. Uh, And I think he also has uh, a really uh, interesting like uh, synchronicity. Is that the word? Is that a word? Yeah. Yeah. How it's synchronicity. Uh, I think there's a lot of that throughout the film. So in the opening with the inmates, they're like doing their thing. And then, uh, you see like the way that they line up to like leave and it's very symmetrical. It's very organized and it's all kind of timed. Yeah. Right? So that's and like, that's a theme throughout almost. Oh, absolutely. yeah. They kind of like hit it real hard. So yeah, there's like yeah. elements of this, f- like that, like are very, um, 
European and their concerns. So like, I don't know yeah. if you're, are you, I'm not sure if you're like a, a big uh, fan of like the early days of cinema. Like if you know your uh, Lemire brothers and whatnot, but uh, I, I mean, I've Lumiere seen brothers. some of that stuff. Well, you know, there's like, there, there's like a lot of uh, footage from that period of time of, um, workers factory workers going into work yep. like there's just like they would sit up a tripod and shoot like eight seconds of footage of people just marching into like a factory like there's like that's like some of the mm-hmm. earliest things that people were shooting because it was like these early periods of time of like mechanized labor uh like if the industrial revolution yep. was like long into its throes but like um there was like kind of a growing concern of like the dehumanizing quality of that. Um, and I think like in visual culture, like German expressionists kind of were dealing with like this, the, the angst of, uh, of what that means for the human spirit and like mm-hmm. what that materialism and whatnot is a crushing thing. And so on the flip side, this film is very much like having fun with it rather than being like very serious. Um, there's, there's also like the correlations though, that like, it's kind of a weird movie because it's 1931 and there's like a lot of like callbacks or or references to like the rise of Nazi Germany. And like, Mm -hmm. and, and I mean the mechanization of that, like as a, what will come like in like seven years, uh, like the mechanized army force of that. And like, there's like the, the use of like the logo of like the, the record company. It's mm-hmm. like, I kept thinking like in the uniforms is very militaristic. And I'm like, that's like interesting. These like, I don't know, to me, like I just, I kept reading them as like references to like the Nazis and like stuff like that. And I was like, this is like, I think that's is... got something to do with your character more than anything. Well, I kept wondering why this is, this seems like almost like either right in the t- like at the time, this was like a like a real fear. Like Hitler mm-hmm. was like coming into power, uh, and you're like, huh? Th- this was like really on people's minds long before people were like, oh well, it came out of nowhere. And it's like, no, no, people were thinking about this for like uh, years beforehand. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's there's like the, kind of like the heavier aspect of that uh, of because of like the idea of like mechanizing slaughter, and then I mean you wind up with the Holocaust, which is like moving people in lines into trains and like filing them in and killing them effectively. It's like this horrifying application of like, well, we have to make a product, but how do we effectively kill people? And it's just like it's messed up. But mm. the, but this movie Did it obviously, work, well. Uh, Look at history, I guess. Okay. Um, on the then on the flip side, on the lighter side of this discussion, uh, there's definitely this like French um, kind of thorough line between this and uh, Jacques Tati, uh, mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. like uh, with his like kind of uh, critique, his satire of uh, uh, his farce of, of modernism, I guess, because like we're not quite yeah. at modernism yet uh, in society mm-hmm. like things like people are still like dressed in like like when you watch like Under the Roofs of Paris like people are like very much dressed workmanly like they're very like mm-hmm. well it's like, industrialist kind of, yeah but it's like right on that line still like people yeah. aren't like in, in, in the, a point of comfort yet mm-hmm. um, the the means of production are still uh, figuring out like how to make things look nice but like well you gotta put nice... the means of production back to the people Jared <laughs> Whoa, that's, that's comrade some, that's some Bolshevik talk right there <laughs> but, you see um, comrade yeah but so yeah like in my mind I'm like okay so we you wind up later with um, yeah Jacques Tati uh, who's a French director making uh, these criticisms about like consumerism and materialism and like uh, this like how me- things are being made and like it's like Chaplin kind of was probably more the person that like Tati would have been referencing kind of being like mm. a, a physical comedian kind of contemporary to him. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like Rene Claire was kind of like doing that in his more uh, impressionistic sort of way, but like also like far less memorable 
just because like yeah. I don't it's kind of tough to compete so I don't know he's like one of those guys that like I guess it's good that his films aren't falling out of obscurity because they are now in the Criterion Collection but at the same time Tati or Claire Claire Okay. Yeah, yeah, like Tati is okay. He's doing okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but yeah, he's fine. Yeah, but I mean, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll we'll talk about the next. But that's movie. what I mean. So like for for a new La Liberty, uh, I kind of see why it's in here. Like I do think it has some some interesting filmmaking, and I do like the way that they break down the assembly line and division of labor stuff, even if it is like a very literal metaphor for certain things. Uh, I think it's film nice and I like the presentation of it. Yeah. So I think for the most part, I'm on board with that stuff. I like the kind of flares that he has with those, those specific elements. Uh, in terms of the story itself, I got a little lost watching this. It's well, I, I have so like, at, at certain yeah. just at certain times. So like I, I was on board with a lot of the things. I was like, okay, inmates, guy breaks out, one guy gets loose, he's running away, and then he runs into a marathon yeah. by chance and wins. Yes. And I was like, oh, this is so like <laughs> it's so familiar to me, I think, because of like how often this seems to be done in like Looney Tunes. <laughs> yeah, like Looney Tunes, but even like just regular tv and movies i was like i've seen this so many times this exact same story beat where it's like a guy running away that just by chance like merges into a marathon somehow i was like man that's like it's pretty wild that this 90 year old movie did it also so i thought that was interesting but then so we cut to the other inmate and his like attempts at suicide or is that in the next movie that's uh, no, that's still here because he he, he okay, was yeah, himself okay, so on the, the prison bars and they yeah. wind up being loose. Yeah, which I actually thought was like a nice little scene because I was like, oh, how how playful, Jared, <laughs> how playful this all is. It's like it, it was going super grim and I was like, oh, shit, is this guy going to kill himself? And then the bars break out and I was like, oh, uh-huh, uh-huh. good, great laughs for everyone. Yeah. So you have that and he gets out and he's working in the factory. And then like I know when he meets up with his old chum. I know like where it was going, but at the same time in my mind, I was like, did I miss something? (laughs) I was like, or has it not been explained yet? And then like they do kind of backtrack a little bit where he's like, well, I got out and then, you know, I opened up a factory and now I'm uh, the number one guy. I uh, own all the money in France. And you're like, all right, okay, sure. Sure. Okay. Uh, So like, I, I don't know, like there's nothing about the story that I think is, confusing or presented in a weird way but just watching it i was kind of like i felt like i missed something i was like mm. uh did i miss something I, it doesn't help oh. that the two leads look basically the same <laughs> like well, they, one has a mustache well though. later on initially later though on. they're just like these doughy french guys in gray like and the movie's black and white but yeah. everything seems gray so and then you're like oh they basically are the same man and they're just like allowed to like work off of one another I was reading uh, in, in a Who Hates This. They mentioned something about like they are allowed to like just like improvise a lot of stuff, which I think explains oh, okay. sort of this like kind of loose quality yeah. to the film. That's kind of like, oh, they're just making it up as they went, huh? Yeah, loose quality. Uh, there are a few things like some of the the slapstick uh, doesn't totally land with me completely. Although there's certain like some of the comedy bits 
I don't think are as dated as things that came out like 10 years ago. Some of that shit is like extremely dated. Like, I don't know, Fortnite dancing type stuff. You watch that now in movies, you're like, ooh, baby. Like, that's dated and that hasn't even been like a year or two. So there were things in this that I was like, oh, that's that's not a bad joke. I was like, I don't really find it funny, but it's not a bad joke. Uh, but then there were there wasn't too many. It was just some some of like, I guess, the physical humor stuff. And that's more in Under the Roofs of Parents, but uh, parents, Under the Roofs of Parents. Um, and not even like physical, like not body humor, like Buster Keaton stuff, but like... Uh, I don't know what is the the British thing where it's like Benny Hill, Benny Hill, yeah, like when they're running like from room to room. There's not a ton of that in that either, but there are some scenes where it it is like people running around knocking shit over, and you're like, what's going on here? When they're taking the money, they're trying to get they're trying to yeah. get the money out of there before like the the, the jig is up, mm. and then and then then the money goes all out into the wind, and every and the money is liberated. Mm-hmm liberated comrade uh so there's some stuff there uh the one scene what's your take on the scene when they're serving dessert and they spill whipped cream on everyone i don't know i have no idea you have you have no opinion of that no i I don't know i I, I guess i was like huh yeah that's happening and then they're like i never had any cake yeah (laughs) i uh i did i did really kind of sympathize but not also sympathize but kind of like mad about their response to that where it's like they're just watching it all unfold and they're laughing and then they have the big response to it which is like i get why it's funny one but also two you're you're kind of those assholes that are laughing at other people's misfortune where it's like if someone dropped a bunch of plates and you clap at it you're like uh like don't do that it's a lady's job or that guy's job, and they just drop some plates. Don't be clapping at that. It's not that extreme, but uh, I don't know. Whipped cream is kind of funny. That old guy seemed to like it. He was on board with the joke. He was like, he's like, sure, whatever. Lay it on me, big dog. Uh, I felt like there were a few things that were brought up but never really addressed, like uh, the full, the like infidelicious, the lady, the wife that was like sleeping around mm-hmm. i was trying to say infidelity but i was trying to think of a word that like anyways like i feel like that's like brought up as a subplot that like she has a boyfriend but i never saw it again <laughs> unless i missed it or or is that ever brought up again i don't even know because it was a whole scene like the butler saw her that, that, kissing that, some uh, dude the second half of this movie really uh yeah. Oh, how did you feel about the aggressive male presence in this movie where it's a lot of, uh, hey, you're going to marry this guy. You're going to do it and you're going to like it. And it's like, oh, all right. Uh, It's in both of these movies where I think in uh, one of the no, it's in this one. So when it's like the factory guy, like the manager and you see that really cool wall where the numbers are like running on the wall. Yes. It looks like it's just a piece of paper being pulled, but it looks cool. And he's uh, he's grabbing on that lady real hard and heavy. And he's like, hey, baby, I'm the manager here. You could be the manager's wife. I mean, let me tell you, my name's Jared Duncan. I work at this factory. (laughs) That's what he does mostly, but hmm. anyways, it was a different time, I guess, Jared. <laughs> yeah, that's what the, they all say, right? That's what that's what they all say. That's what they all say, but I don't know. I I think this movie has some good qualities to it. Like I enjoyed a good bit of it, and I thought it was watchable enough. But this isn't 
none of these guys' movies so far are movies that I've I ever want to revisit yeah. or well, even think about. Well, let's uh, let's not jump to any conclusions here. We've got another one to talk about. Right, yeah, yeah. Why don't you tell me about uh, well, Under the Roof? Let Let me tell you. Hey, for whatever reason, this movie has a explicitly English title, but also a French one. Under the Roofs. Is it Roofs or Roofs, RJ? Well, the actual title is R-O-O-F-S, so I would say Roofs. Roofs. But I know that that sounds sounds wrong. Under the Roofs. Under the Roofs. Pa- say Roof. Rough. Under the Roofs of Paris. Paris. Oh, yeah. uh, from 1930, from our boy, René. Oh, yeah. The synopsis from Letterboxd. In the tenement slums of Paris, between the world wars, impoverished street singer Albert yearns for beautiful Romanian immigrant Pola. Pola's boyfriend, local hoodlum Fred, grows jealous of Albert's constant attention to his woman and frames the hapless musician for one of his own petty crimes. But while Albert is in prison for Fred's misdeed, Pola ends up falling for Albert's faithful best friend, Louis. <gasps> Louis? Another Louis. Louis. Uh, Some people say Louis when it has the S on there. They do. Yeah, what were you going to say, Jared? This movie is a total bore. (laughs) I did did not like this at all. Uh, Uh This is like right down there in the bottom for me for these Criterion movies. I don't know. I don't know, man. Uh, There's okay. Before I maybe get into all that. There's the one thing I like about this movie, and mm-hmm. it's only because it just like made me go, oh, hey, Children of Paradise was a good movie. Because this movie is kind of like a Children of Paradise type of story in some mm-hmm. ways. Um, it's got this like kind of fake Paris, I guess, like it's a construct. Sure. And there's like these really cool pans down, you know, over the roofs of Paris, down underneath the roofs of Paris. And it's really, mm-hmm. it's like a really great shot. And at the very end of the movie, it has that as well. And I'm like, man, I just like to watch a movie of just like this footage, like of various, like, like that'd be way better than anything we just watched. And that's mm-hmm. not a good, that's not a good thing. It's not a good thing. Um, the, the, so the biggest problem with this movie is that it's so generic and you have no yeah. reason at all to care about anything that's happening in this Mm -hmm. thing whatsoever um the only Mm -hmm. like the the main dude albert man he's just like has zero screen presence for me um the uh actress playing pola uh she's got that classic flapper look uh she looks great what kind of look flapper okay yeah it's not the vegas flappers right uh I don't know what that means, but keep going. Okay. So, uh, anyways, very class, that classic twenties look, the hair, the dress, Mm -hmm. makeup, all that stuff. That she looks great. Um, and then there's just like this plot going on in this movie. That the rest of the movie, the rest of the movie, which is just like the most, like this movie is like five hours long. And I know it's only, I know the box only says 95 minutes, Mm -hmm. but holy cow, it just wouldn't end. I messaged you at one point while watching this about like, what have we done with our lives? Not much. Why, why is this happening? Um, Cause like, I Mm -hmm. just was like completely checked out this thing. Aren't you glad though, that we're doing the criterion creeps initiative so that you're watching all these movies that could potentially be all time bangers. That's right. But could potentially be 
uh, the, under the roofs of Paris. Yeah, where it's like this if this movie was made like exactly the same way like both like a contemporary set of actors, it would just be like no one would give a shit cuz movies like this are yeah. made all the time and no one cares. It's only because this is like a a René Clair film from 1930 that it's like of mm-hmm. historical significance. Um but there's like Again, there's these moments that, like, there's some nice camera work. There's, like, a nice, like, lighting, uh, a nice quality to, like, the frame. Uh, like, there's just, like, these things where you're just like, this is just not interesting at all. If I was just, yeah. like, watching this movie for, like, the occasional screen grab or something like that, sure. I guess, like, anyone, any movie's, like, interesting when you watch it that way. Mm-hmm. But there's, like, a thousand movies you could watch instead. <laughs> Why don't you tell me how you really feel? Oh, and I don't know, RJ, if it's any yeah. coincidence that these two films, particularly Under the Roots of Paris, have like absolutely probably the worst covers in the Criterion Collection on DVD. They're, they're, uh, I don't know. I know the letterbox covers, but yeah, I don't know the actual. Uh, you should check them out because they're uh, stink town. They're, they're a bad graphic design and everything like that. Like, they would never be made like this ever again today, but they were, they were real phoned in, I think, uh, back in whatever that would have been 2003 when these came out. Ugh. Under the roof of Paris. <laughs> Did they make it in PowerPoint? Or no, no PowerPoint, uh, paint. Oh my God. It's like, so if this is the actual Criterion cover, it, uh, it is. The, it's it's the, the open window. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. But oh look my at the, God. The, the, the blue, like the the framing of it, because both <laughs> and both covers are bad. But but under the roofs of Paris is like abysmal. <laughs> I think it's really funny because like I've I've been I've been hanging out with kids, Jarrett, and I've seen some <laughs> like not in a weird way. I've seen some twelve year old kids <laughs> making powerpoints. And like what they make is a lot more like polished than this thing. Like it, it does look, it looks like it's paint. Someone drew some rectangles, put them off angle a little bit. And they're like, it's a day. Let's call it. That's a good day. And then there's all these French words in the background, like <laughs> from the back layer. Why? What is that? Why? Good Lord, Jarrett. That is like quite poor. We all know that like Criterion, it's like they're, famed for their like graphic design packaging allegedly this is one of the misses and uh not very good my man no it's not it's, very it's good kind of in the that collection with uh arguably fishing with john's uh dvd uh design where you're which like, is unfortunate because it's the best criterion yeah. but, movie with... but, but i think there's an argument that like the aesthetic of that dvd kind of fits that show um whereas this is just yeah. like uh, awful absolutely terrible it's quite I uh that was a genuine laugh on my end because I was just like whoa <laughs> I didn't see that guy coming yeah, no I remember uh years ago looking at some uh list on like a reddit or something like that about like the like worst criterion dvd art and mm-hmm. this was like one of them I was like oh one day we'll get to watch that movie too and here we are and here we are was it worth it nope good so good. RJ yes under the roofs of Paris yes how, how was that for you? Under the roofs of Paris. So I agree with you for the most part. <laughs> I thought this movie was very boring. I thought this movie was even harder to stay in line with. Where like for the first one, I was like, I'm kind of lost. 
Mm-hmm. That's probably my fault, though. I was like, maybe I'm not paying enough attention. I didn't really fault the movie for it that much. It's like, well, sometimes you got to fault the movie for it, though. I I feel. I like, think this this one I'm faulting the movie for, where there were certain things in this movie where I was like, what the fuck is going on? So guy meets girl, guy falls in love with a girl, guy has best friend, then one guy gets set up for a robbery or something, and then they want to get married, but then there's lots of bar fights, and then there's other characters doing other things that you, you're shown to. So this thing played out to me like a series of vignettes, and I don't think that they're actually connected other than the fact that a couple of them are follow-ups to previous ones. So you have a couple characters, the two guys and the girl that you see more often, but then there's stories on the side that I was watching and I was like, I don't think this has anything to do with the movie. And then later it finishes and you're like, I don't think those things had anything to do with the movie. So I don't know where they came from. Uh, this one I do have a timestamp for because uh, there was a screen cap there and I was like, oh yeah, how apropos, Jarrett. <laughs> At 37 minutes, there is a, this is a nightmare tag. And I was like, yeah, this is, this isn't <laughs> what I would like to be doing right now. Uh, I can, I can say that much. Um, ordeal. A bit. Like I can see what they were going for where it's, it's kind of like a love triangle, but it's also a friend story. And you see how playful they are where it's like, let's share a smoke. And it's like, well, I only got one left. I'll give it to you because I'm a good pal. I'll give you my one smoke. And then the guy sees that and he's like, nah, we're I'll break this son of a bitch right in half. We'll, sh- we'll share this cigarette so that we can be good pals. And you're like, oh, man, these guys are really good pals with each other. Look at the lengths that they go to. Mm-hmm. But they're also not afraid to throw down and fight each other, Jared. It's very playful. So I don't know. There's, I feel like there are certain elements to it. I think this one definitely is way more like silent era acting where it's very kind of exaggerated expressions at times. Uh, a lot more noticeable than in the first one where when I was watching some of the actors, I was like, why are they like overplaying it so much is it because they're used to silent movies or yeah like, what's, what's the the, deal here? because this, this, this is a year older yeah. or newer or older yeah yeah and uh so i mean there's like those so that's what i figured of, like overacting because yeah. actors are still figuring out that stuff yes but yeah and there's like the weird kind of looping dialogue stuff that they're doing yeah. like where they're putting the dialogue afterwards and it's like doesn't quite work, <laughs> but but that's well, a, like that's that's not something that I stuff. like. Yeah. yeah, I don't hold that against the, the, it because the, it's it's old. Yeah, I, I feel like the storytelling in this is just like such a slog, dumpy. It's yeah. pretty dumpy. Yeah, so I don't hold that against it, but it's something you do notice. Uh, one good thing that I actually do like is uh, the shots of the buildings at the start and at the end. I was like, hey, yeah. look at those nice buildings. I was yeah, like, that's that, really that's nice. Awesome. There's a, there's a couple of also neat shots too of like uh, kind of in the middle part of the movie, I guess. Uh, there's like the bit where like the camera's kind of panning down in the like tenement building. On the building. And, and you yeah. get like kind of like the like the architecture of it, which is like really mm-hmm. neat. Like there's like these technical elements of this movie that are like the only thing worth talking about. But yep. they're all to the service of like a incredibly, I don't know, boring movie. Like, yeah, exactly. Just, yeah. So like those two things and then the one other one that I really liked, I liked the staging of the fight scene at the end okay. with the street lights and stuff. I was like, I like this. I, I, I thought it looked really nice. I was like, I like the way that they 
they kind of laid this all out here for these dudes having a street brawl at the end of it. But um, so I thought that looked good. But I also thought it was really funny how it was like preluded by the uh, the um, crocodile Dundee. Like that's not a knife <laughs> scene where there's like 20 knives and you're just like, what is going on here? Dude pulls out his knife and then the other guy pulls out a pocket knife. He's like, well, he's like, what are you, you going to do? But then they actually fight with knives. And I was like, oh, I was like, that really like escalated. Spill those, spill those guts. Spill them guts. So I don't know. I think the story is hard to follow. And even when you do understand what's going on, because you do figure it out, I think it's not particularly interesting. So you're kind of like, oh, whatever. This is a movie. Uh, a movie that's eight or ninety years old, almost. Would you describe this as a the this plot is like a love square? Yeah, kind of, and that's what I think. But so I don't want to be too nice on it either because a new La Liberté <laughs> came out like a year later, and I actually thought that one was fine. Like I I wasn't amazed by it, but mm-hmm. I was like I was like it was fine. I was like it had some technical aspects that I think are really impressive. Where in this one, it's like. There was three things that I took away from it. That building shot that I liked at the start, your building shot, like the the pan going up, I liked that one too, and then the fight scene at the end. Everything else in between, I was kind of just like... Yeah. <laughs> just like, I don't fucking care about this stuff. So, I don't know, man. Like, it's okay. It's definitely okay, but uh, I don't think it's anything super interesting. So, yeah, it's not. If you're going to watch one of these, watch A New La Liberté. Uh, do, you, you don't need to watch Under the Roofs of Paris. It's 90 minutes you can't get back. Yeah, there's like so many movies from 1930 you should watch instead, I think. Yeah, yeah. like uh, that hit movie Capes yeah. that came out. Yeah. Yeah. Huge movie. Huge. Huge movie. Big release. Technical Marvel. Ah, that's what they say. Well, RJ. Yes. I think it's time to talk about who hates these movies. Does anybody like? Uh, has anyone even watched these? Did fucking they movies? Act more than you'd expect. Uh, first up, a new Le Liberté. One and a half star from Boris Christ. You think that's his real name? Oh, I don't know. Okay. Rene Claire's a new Le Liberté. Henry Marchand and Raymond Cordy are woefully miscast as two ex-convicts. Hmm. Actually, I think they're not even ex-cons. They are convicts. I mean, yeah. they, they never did their they're time. They're escaped convicts. Yeah. I had high hopes for this picture, but ultimately the humor fails to produce laughs and the satire is misguided and disconnected from the truth. Uh... The tone of the movie <laughs> is sharply uneven and that's likely due to the fact that the movie had no shooting script and the actors were forced to improvise. This ultimately leads to the fragile and disjointed structure. I have no idea why Renee Claire trusted these actors to build the foundation for his movie. They simply do not have the screen presence or charisma to carry a film. On that basis alone, the movie is not effective, and thus, I cannot recommend it. With that said, the score provided by Georges Auric is one of the most positive aspects of this movie, as it attempts to match the movements of the assembly line. It almost what? makes up for the lack of chemistry between Marchand and Cordy. Or Cordy. Rene Claire shows glimpses of promise, and with better actors, he might have pulled this off. But his lack of vision is accentuated by the lack of truth in the messages he attempts to portray. Uh, at, no, at no point does Boris Christ talk about what these things are, 
It's like, what is this, uh, a review of us? Okay, so I think the most striking thing about Boris Christ is that the, this review of this movie exists because it's an abandoned account, yep. but it is also a professional troll yep. uh, because five-star movies, even though I, I agree with this, Batman v Superman, but then Piranha, Furry Vengeance, Spy Next Door, White House Down. It's like, all right, that's weird. Half-star movies, Shawshank Redemption, Schindler's List, E.T., Dr. Strangelove, O.J. Made in America. So they're not real ratings. But then at the same time, they, this person only has 30 movies logged. And one of them happens to be this <laughs> Renee Claire movie when there's an actual review for it. So it's like, it's like, why? I was wondering what the message that uh, Boris is alluding to is well, the one that we were talking about earlier and saying that's it's a false one. Mm. I, I don't know. I don't know. Jared, it's a farce. Yeah. Michael Elliott, two stars. I know this film is hailed as a masterpiece. I don't know about that. Is it? Uh, no, uh, and I know Chaplin's Modern Times owes a lot to it, but that doesn't mean the film worked for me. Uh, maybe, maybe I got it wrong. Maybe it's Rene Claire way or the Chaplin. Other? I don't care. Who, who gives a shit? <laughs> Claire's Green satirical, jacket, jacket, Claire's satirical look at factory workers and their owners who are willing to exchange them for machinery is supposed to be a comedy, but I'm not sure which part of it is. It is. Having now seen the film for myself, I can see why the original company went after Chaplin. Okay. Because there's no way in hell that this film didn't influence Chaplin in his masterpiece. However, to me, it seems Chaplin saw a technically brilliant but soulless film and made a much better picture. Credit should be given to Claire because the technical look of this film is brilliant and the music score is top notch. See, I, I don't even... I everyone's talking about the score. I didn't hear the score once when I watched these I, movies. Yeah, but that's about as far as my admiration goes. There wasn't a single time in this film where I laughed, and I only cracked a smile a couple times. The film was clearly spoofing the factory spoofing. workers. Yet I could never see any of the spoof. Had you not told me this was a comedy, then everything on the screen comes off as a drama because it doesn't seem to me that there was any attempt for laughs. Spoof. Another problem I had was the dialogue, which was great, but at the same time it kind of went against what was going on in the scenes. The movie is filmed in a silent manner, and in my opinion, it probably would have worked best as a silent movie. The spoken words because because somewhat distracting from the technical side of things, yeah. So it comes so it came off to me as Claire was either making a silent film and later decided to make it sound, or the film is just uneven. <laughs> Which one is it? Which one is it? Uh, I know which one I'd go with. Okay, so Michael Elliott, Jarrett, has peculiar taste. Yeah. So it's mostly Criterion's are the liked movies. Favorite movies are like Annie Hall, Maniac, Bride of Frankenstein, which is the lesser of the first two. I can confirm by my own personal opinion, Frankenstein is better than Bride of Frankenstein. Midnight Cowboy. So lots of criterions. But when I look into their one st or half star ratings, I find a lot of movies that I'm a little bit confused by. Sexually? Because, yes, actually, a lot of porn. So I know you were kidding, but literally a lot of porn. And it's like they're half star reviews, but it, it's kind of like you had to have gone out of your way to watch... Um, semen demon from 2005 
And you probably had to go out of your way to watch Jesus Christ Serial Rapist from 2004. <laughs> so there's a lot of movies I, like that. Yeah. And they're all half star. And it's like, it's like you didn't just happen upon Semen Demon. Like you went out of your way to watch that. And you gave it a half a star. That seems, it seems off, Jarrett. But also, are you interested in either of those two movies? No. Okay, that's fine. I'm I'm fine with that. But do you see why I'm confused? No. But why though? <laughs> Under the Roos of Paris. Okay. One star, watched by Cosmic Monkey. Hmm. Interesting. It's part of that awkward era of semi-silent films that never really worked, and its narrative, probably tired and uninspired already back then, is muddled, disjointed, and too slow. Its biggest weakness is its protagonist, a lecherous, probably rapist creep who doesn't know how to take no for answer. Classic. His unlikability removes any chance of emotional connection. I doubt it was great film when it came out, and it certainly isn't 85 years later. Is that it? That's it. Um, criterion type stuff. Mm-hmm. Four favorite movies. Red Shoes. Florida Project. Citizen Kane. All that jazz. But when we get to those half star reviews, they got uh, they got Flubber in there. <laughs> Which I don't think is fair. <laughs> Flubber's fine. It's not a half star movie. What do you? What are your opinions on Flubber? Uh, before my time. What do you mean? You were alive when Flubber <laughs> came out. What are you talking about? One and a half stars. Mauricio Xavier. Well, that's fine. Just ignore me completely. Whatever. Kind of funny that I watched this on the same day I rewatched Breathless, as Claire's treatment of his female lead up to you. makes me long for Godard's gender essentialist bullshit. At least what? Godard depicted her carrying her own moments, doing her own things. Thanks. Of course, I love that they're writing this without naming the female character. Just calling mm-hmm. her her. The film leaves her at the moment she leaves the men, rendering itself absolutely unable to get any sort of insight into her. In fact, the film seems to have no insight into anything. Approaching everything it depicts is information to feed the viewer, stifling any possible drama that could come out of the setups, which are all fairly interesting. Claire seems to have a juvenile visual sense here, and it gets endearing on occasion, the focus on feet for one. But more often than not, it just seems misguided. A pan to the right revealing a man about to follow a woman is probably the worst version of the meat-cute ever created. But lo and behold... What's lo and beholded? I'm shaking shaking my head back and forth. That is all. Um, There's nothing lo and beholded? No. Okay, so here's the thing, Jared. Lots of Criterion movies, lots of things like No Country and Amadeus as favorite films. Pretty standard fare. But you go to one-star movies, you have Take Shelter and Kill List. And then when you go to one-and-a-half-star movies, you have Videodrome, Dirty Harry, Repo Man, in your favorite movie, Dark Knight Rises, Drive, Exodus, Gods and Kings. What's going on here? Three Amigos? That's not a one-star movie. What are you talking about, Mauricio? What are you talking about, Mauricio? <laughs> yeah. 
Am I right? Yeah. Jarrett? Yeah. What are you talking about? Mauricio? <laughs> there you have it, folks. Renee Claire, in a nutshell. Mauricio Claire? And we won't be seeing his uh, rotten hide again until we watch I M- Married a Witch. That's like hundreds. He's got more? Only one more. And that's like Thank God. hundreds of weeks from now. <laughs> uh, we're, uh, we're safe. Hundreds of weeks? Yep. I'll be dead by then. Exactly. Yeah. You'll have to do it still, we, though. We, we won't even have podcasts then. You will have to do it still. Oh. Won't you? Well, that's it, RJ. Yeah. We did it. Did we? After the break, we're going to hang ourselves on those prison bars, <laughs> but the bars aren't loose. I wish. <laughs> we'll escape life, if not prison. Oh, are you still going? <laughs> I thought you finished it a while ago. When this old world starts getting me down And people are just too much for me to face I climb way up to the top of the stairs And all my cares just drift right into space On the roof is peaceful as can be And there the world below can bother me Let me tell you now when I come home feeling tired and weak I go up where the air is fresh and RJ, do you ever wonder if we're being punished to having to do this show? I don't wonder. I'm pretty confident. Since like episode 40, I was like, oh no, this isn't a blessing. No, this feel- is the curse. I'm feeling like Harvey Keitel in a like Abel Ferreira, Martin Scorsese movie. Maybe Harvey Keitel in uh, Bad Timing by your favorite author or director, Nick Rogue. I haven't seen that one. You will. Because it's a curse. Because I'm like Harvey Keitel in one of those movies. In one of those movies. Yeah, by the way, I do feel it's a curse. Just say whatever you were going to say. Cut me off now. You can email us at CriterionCreeps at gmail.com and tell us which Harvey Keitel character you are. Mm-hmm. We've got a Facebook page. We're on Instagram. We're on ins- Instagram. And let Instagram. And we're on are, we, are we? And we're on Instagram. And we're on Letterboxd. I'm okay. Jared Duncan. He's Barnloaf. We're on YouTube. We're and? we have a Patreon. Sure. We've got SoundCloud, Stitcher, do we? iTunes, Google Play, and we need those reviews. Do we? Oh yeah, we do actually. Yeah. Yeah, please review our stuff. Oh man, next week, RJ. Yeah. Oh man, I I we're watching Lynn Ramsey's Rat Catcher. Is that good? I don't know. Uh, have you never seen that no i haven't oh shit um i don't know i don't know what i'm going to think about that movie i don't know what you're going to think about that movie either i I don't know at one point i was really into like dreary british things and now i don't know if i am (laughs) 
And I don't think you ever were. Uh, not really. Oh man. So you're saying it's a win. Yeah, you're saying there's a chance. You're saying there's a chance. Are you going to watch other moody British things for next week? No. <laughs> or, now consider this. You could. What do you think about that? It's going to be depressing. Just do it. Just do it. Just do it. Scotland. Who? Scotland. What about him? That's well. It's it's setting him. Yeah. yeah. Good night, folks. I hope we die before the next podcast.